Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. everybody welcome back to another edition of the teardown my name is jeff gluck i'm with my co-worker jordan bianchi we are motorsports writers for the athletic and each week all season long we've been coming to you after races to talk about what just happened of course now we are a couple weeks into the nascar off season the f1 season just wrapped up and we have a season finale episode for you here where we are going to take listener questions that you submitted um, after hearing the request last week on the podcast, I did not put this out on Twitter. This was something that uh, I just wanted our listeners and only our listeners to submit questions. And we got more than 60 questions, Jordan. So uh, we're not going to be able to get to all of them today, unfortunately. But we'll uh, we'll go for a while and uh, answer some questions here. And you guys might listen to this at any time. So, uh, yeah, Jordan, are you ready ready to get dive into a, a big one today? I am. I'm looking forward to this. I love mailbags. I love answering questions. It's always really creative questions, uh, insightful questions. I think it's going to be fun for everybody. And this is a great way to kind of recap the year too, kind of, and preview a little bit, I think too, of what's to come in 2023. And so, you know, uh, again, we're not sure when you're listening to this. Obviously some of you listen to these right away when they come out, but given it's the off season and given this is going to be sort of like sitting here for, uh, over a month, month and a half, I guess, is sort of like the last most recent podcast in the feed. Um, I, I do want to just right off the top, in case you are listening to this between November 21st and November 28th, um, just right, right where we have you at the top here, I want to tell you about the, the Black Friday deal that The Athletic is having because it's the best deal that they have all year. Um, for It's new subscribers, $1 a month for 12 months. So 12 bucks for the entire year for The Athletic. You can read all of our stories and, of course, every sport um, that The Athletic covers, which is pretty much all of them. And uh, to get the deal, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash the teardown, not just teardown, but the teardown. And uh, you should be prompted for the deal. And it, it that link will go live, um, I think, sometime early Monday morning, November 21st. And again, it lasts through Cyber Monday, November 28th. So... Just want to let you know that right off the top, and now we can get into the podcast and the questions. We got, uh, man, Jordan, like I said, more than 60 questions, um, some from, uh, we got one from Australia, Luxembourg, the UK, Canada, and of course, many from the United States. So first of all- We're international, Jeff. 
I mean, shout out to everybody all all around the world. I guess it's we listening are. to us. It's pretty cool. Uh, makes us feel good. And um, so, yeah, let's let's jump right into it here. Uh, so the first question comes from Nick T. Nick T, you are the winner of the first question. Here's what it says, Jordan. Congratulations, you've just won the lottery, and you've been gifted Texas Motor Speedway as well. Not that that's something to celebrate. Nick's words, not mine. <laughs> you've won 500 million. So what are you going to do to Texas motor speedway? Are you completely tearing down? Uh, are you just demolishing turns one and two? Let's hear your plans for the new Texas motor speedway owned by J squared motorsports. So apparently it's both of us. We have to come to an agreement on oh, this. Jordan. Corner. All right. No, 500 million bucks. I don't know how much we really want to spend on Texas to make it better, but it, we, it is in our possession. So what do we want to do here? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give you two things. And well, and I mentioned this one before, like, and I know about, and, you know, taking into account the infrastructure and the score, you know, the big hoss and everything. Right. I get that. It, why has someone not replicated another Bristol? You put Bristol in a major market like that. You have an opportunity to kind of reinvent Texas Motor Speedway and make it exciting and fresh and, and get people wanting to come back to the racetrack. That said, if you're looking at this from a realistic perspective, I had a crew, uh, uh, an interesting conversation with a crew chief right after the playoff race at Texas. And we were looking at a map of the track and we were actually talking about what had you had said about how, you know, the scoreboards in place and you've got the suites and everything else. And his idea, and I thought it was really creative. He goes, why don't you just chop off basically turns three and four and basically build another rocking hand? And that way the scoreboard can stay where it's at. The, the suites and everything else can stay where they're at. And we were looking at this map and everything. And he's like, you would not really lose anything there now that's pertinent. And you could make it work. And people want another Rockingham. Here you go. You're giving it to them. Yeah, but aren't t- turns one and two are the problem, though, not turns three and four. Well, I mean, you're going to end up having to do part of that would be re- can probably redoing everything to some degree. Oh, okay. You know. All right. Well, here's the thing. We, Nick T says we won, we won $500 million in the lottery. Daytona yeah. Rising costs four hundred million dollars. So we're getting so, 50, we got fifty million to put in our pockets. Well, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend as much as no. I, I sorry, I, I want to keep. I don't want to win the lottery and then spend it all on Texas Motor Speedway. I mean, I'm, I'm I want to make some money off this. it, but not that much. Yeah. So um, I don't want to do that big of a project. I think what I would want to do is just restore it to like um, sort of the traditional mile and a half type racetrack um you know try to replicate like a homestead or something like that uh or you know intermediate tracks have been the best racing that would be the easiest thing to do don't make another atlanta don't make you know obviously reconfigure it how it is now but you know make it so that it would have good racing you know you're shaking your head at me no because you're not going to be able to sell this to the public how many different reconfigurations of texas motor speedway and it's 1.5 mile state have there been the public in Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth market, if we're looking at this from a realistic perspective, we're like, oh, oh, Texas is doing another reconfiguration. Oh, okay, whatever. I'll believe it when I, you know. You're not going to be able to take that to them and get them excited. And you Rockingham, new Rockingham is going to get them excited? It's That's a mile. Gonna... It's, it's a mile. It's different. It's much different than a mile and a half. And it, it's, it's different than any other track on the schedule. So, yeah, it has a better chance of that. I mean... If that's the goal, I don't know how you you have to figure out a way to get the ticket buying public excited. You have to find a way to get the general NASCAR fan who completely looks at Texas Motor Speedway with disdain 
excited and just saying, oh, we're just going to do another 1.5 mile redo. Like, eh, okay, whatever. Cool. All right. Well, listen, how about we can do a Rockingham if you spend more money on it than I do. That's fine. I want to keep at least $100 million for myself. That's fine. I don't know what I would do with that, but you know, if I have 500 million, I'm not just going to be like, Oh, here you go. No, I I don't think you would call. I don't. Yeah, I'm fine. You take as much money as you want. I'll make Rockingham at Texas and I'll go on. Well, I I still get, I still get equal share. It's Chase squared motorsports. So I just want a better deal. All right. Thank you, Nick. That was, that was a fun question. Uh, so the next one comes from Dallas Kolodny. Hope I said your last name, right? Dallas. Um, and by the way, uh, the people, if I read your last name, then you signed it with your last name in the email. If people like Nick T, um, they might've just signed it with their first name or like I, I could see from their, I, I don't want to read your last name on the air if, if people didn't give me permission. So that's why I'm saying initials for some people and, uh, last names for other, but, um, Dallas says, so between the last three cup series champions, that's Logano, Larson, Elliott. Who ends their cup career with the most cup championships? Hmm. What do you think here? I think you should go first on this one. Okay. Well, so right now the score is Logano two, Larson one, Elliot one. Um, of course, Logano is quite a bit older than those two. He now he does have the advantage because he already has a second one, but he's thirty-two years old. Um and, you know, the other guys are still in their 20s. I think Larson's still in his 20s. Or did he just turn 30? Larson's 30. He just turned 30. So, um, you know, I think, and now Logano's not that much older. He's 32. But still, I mean, he's he's already got one more. Um, you know, I don't know if Larson, I could see Larson sort of bailing earlier than the other two. Um, because I think, you know, I think he's committed to NASCAR and everything. But by the time he gets to 40, he might be like, all right, I'm I want to go run dirt or I want to go run other things or, um, so I, I don't know if he'll stick around that long. I mean, he's got a great team though and he's ultra mega talented. Um, Elliot has the longest runway though. And I think that if you look at all, you know, all the experience Elliot already has and how he's going to be around for a long time, he's probably always going to be with a good team. Probably Hendrick Hendrick, you know, they'll have up and down years, but you know, if you give me the extra years that he has compared to those other guys, I think his odds go up. Um, and experience is going to be so valuable over the course of time. I just think you could be looking at Elliot as maybe like, you know, a five time champ by the time his career is over. Maybe, you know, Larson wins three, Logano wins four, something like that. I, I don't know, but I, I guess I'm just going with Elliot based on the youth and the experience that he already has. I agree with everything you said. Larson to me is the guy who could, I could see him win a couple titles and say, you know, I've kind of done everything I can do over here. I want to go race dirt or I want to go chase big races. So I have questions about that. To me, Elliot, because he's 26 years old, um, to me, has the higher upside. So that's who I'm going with. Okay. There you go. So um, now this one comes from a very loyal listener, Aaron Peach, who is always super positive with us and, um, DMs me on on Twitter and um, he actually listens to us five forty five a.m. every Monday while going on a run. So um, shout out to you, Aaron. But early, damn. uh, So he, uh, you know, he he must talk about our predictions that we make. You know, we have good predictions like you picking Logano as champion in the preseason story. Some not so good, like me saying Trackhouse would be the most disappointing team. 
So he has an idea for a humorous punishment uh, for whoever has the worst prediction each All year. Right. So here's his idea. If Jordan has the worst prediction of 2023, Jordan, you have to work as a mall Santa for a day, listening to Christmas music and interacting with needy small children. I'm sorry, what? Yes. No. Mall Santa around children all day listening to Christmas music. Would you hate Christmas? So I hate everything about that idea. That is like the worst idea I've ever had. Can I have a flask? <laughs> I don't think mall Santas have a, well, maybe some do. But... Have you not seen bad Santa? Cause I would be the bad Santa. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Um, so if I have the worst prediction, I would have to live stream myself watching the Bristol dirt race. And I'm only allowed to use positive adjectives to describe the race. That actually that sounds idea. like a fun challenge. That, so. that part I love. That I want to see happen. Here's the, here's the problem with that, Jordan. If I am live streaming myself watching the race, that means I can't work on my rap during the race like I did this year. Multitask. Um, I can't be, you know, refining the lyrics because I'll have to, we have to, I have to come out with a rap right after the podcast. So maybe I won't do that this year though. You're coming to Bristol Dirt next year, by the way. No, we haven't, we haven't talked about our schedules for next year yet, but I'm telling you, you are coming to Bristol dirt. We are both going to be there. You have to. Why, why would I do that? Why? Just for sheer entertainment value. And then no. I will live stream. Yes. That's, that's absurd. Why would I want to spend uh Easter Sunday, a nice day with, you know, Easter brunches and Easter bunnies and kids Easter bunnies are stupid. Kids are stupid. Okay. That's why you should go to Bristol Dirt and you won't think a thing of it and spend your nice evening there and I'll chill and work on my rap. All right. Well, we'll okay. talk about it. Paul R. wants to know, how would you rate the new car? Um, because he is thinking that he gives it a C, which is average, obviously, because the short tracks suck. He says fires in the rocker box, um, the rear impact issue. Uh, he says it's a good platform that just needs tweaking. So how are you going to grade this one, Jordan? Uh, C plus, B minus. I think it's fair. Like I, 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 You can't dismiss what it has done on the intermediate tracks. It turned those tracks, which we all dreaded, into, oh, my goodness, there's, a, there's Charlotte's coming up. I'm excited for that. that. That's a thing. Like That's a thing that hasn't happened in a long time. Um, and I guess I'm saying this with a little bit of a curve in that I, I think – the racing while on short tracks and, and road courses is is not the level we wanted at. It's not. I think it can be fixed. So um, I was encouraged with what I saw. I, the safety thing cannot be ignored. That's why it's not higher. So B minus C plus. Definitely some room for improvement though. I'm going to give it a B minus because I mean you have to remember really through the first 25 races this season there was legit. Uh, feeling at least from me and I, I don't think I was the only one that like, Hey, this could be shaping up to be the best season ever, you know? Yeah. Um, for whatever reason that rain crash in Daytona changed the tone, the playoffs, you know, got, were rocky with mechanical stuff. The concussion thing happened. Uh, and you know, it, it ended okay, but it was just sort of like, Oh, there's this, the storylines took a turn. Um, but up to that point, I mean, it was like, wow, this has really been super refreshing season with all the parody. And like you said, um, the intermediate tracks really shined the short tracks needed some work, but you know, it's, it's not a disaster, but obviously the safety thing is important and the mechanical failures, they got to get short up. So, you know, 
it's, it was never going to be, I, I wasn't, as long as the short tracks were bad, it wasn't going to be an A, but I think before, you know, through the first 25 race, I might've said B plus then, uh, the mechanical problems, you know, which are, you know, bugs that can be worked out still, but that knocks down to a B, the safety knocks it down to a B minus. So, um, but I, I think it was above average. I mean, certainly from what I thought it was going to be this year. I mean, I, I really felt like, okay, this, this is could This first year of racing with the next gen car could be a total like wash mm-hmm. and everybody just goes, all right, this, but Hey, the, the important thing is that the new car's here and, and they'll work on it from here, but it was way better than I thought. So I have to say it's above average. It just wasn't great. I guess, yeah. you know, 19 different winners that can't be ignored. No. And just, I mean, the level of parity, when you look at all the statistical categories, um, from somebody not leading a thousand laps for the first time and you know, all, all these things, um, it was a very even season. Uh, you just didn't have a bunch of teams dominate. Um, you know, I'm, there's a thing I do on the athletic in January where I ask people to weigh in on five preseason questions and, uh, I'm, I, I graded everybody's answers. Uh, I think we had like 288 people, uh, enter this year and the questions, something like that. And I'm posting the piece this week, this coming up week. And you know, one of the questions was about how, you know, who do you think will be the team with the most wins and how many will they have? And, you know, because Hendrick had, you know, won like what, 19, 18 races or something the year before, uh, Hendrick was the top team this year, but they only won 11 races. So, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. wins throughout the field, throughout all, all across the teams, not just drivers were much more spread out. So I think that's, that's a good thing. Agreed. All right. So, um, Richard from Malden, uh, which is in Essex, which is in the UK, uh, has a question. He's, he says he's the rare Brit who loves NASCAR as well as F1. He actually discovered NASCAR via iRacing, if you can believe that. So he wants to ask a NASCAR F1 crossover question. If Lewis and Max were in NASCAR and we had the NASCAR self-governing system, how do you think the last two seasons of hard racing from Max, especially the Brazil incident, would have played out NASCAR style? Love that (laughs) question. I think having a system where the driver is basically self-police favors Max. Because Max is a very aggressive driver who really doesn't care about rubbing people the wrong way and doesn't care about hurting people's feelings. Lewis is a much cleaner driver and isn't really one to kind of engage in the the physicality of it. So if you had a system where Max could probably get away with it more, I feel like he would take advantage of it and it would better him. Uh, Maybe it gets to a point where somebody finally says, I can't handle this anymore and they pay Max back. But I feel like in this system, Max would definitely benefit. Maybe though, there, there's this though. There's a there's a part of me that says maybe Max would be too aggressive and it would end up costing him a little bit. But I think in the big picture, he's gonna have he's kind of kind of got to run roughshod over everybody. Where people know like, hey, if I don't get out of Max's way, he's gonna shove me out of the way, and that that can work to your favor. Yeah, I I don't I think you're giving Lewis too much credit. I, I think Lewis, if he could, if he had fenders and he was allowed to retaliate <laughs> with the stuff that Max does, I think Lewis would wreck him back. I don't think he would get, Lewis is not going to get like pushed around. If Max is knocking him off the track, shoving him out of the way, Lewis, I mean, you could see how he doesn't give him room now. I mean, they do not like racing each other. If Max was going to run into Lewis, uh, or, or be overly aggressive, or if Lewis was going to do the same, I mean, I think you would have a, a, a war of, of wrecking each other. And, and it would definitely spiral more than it has, or, you know, it, it could ever be an F1. So 
that would be an amazing rivalry. Truly two people who are, I mean, they're for, they're different generations. I mean, you see how Max hangs out with the younger guys and gets along with them, but Lewis, for whatever reason, um, they just can never see eye to eye. And, and it's truly, uh, you know, they'll, they'll shake hands and stuff and they'll be good sports at times, but when they get around each other and when it comes to racing each other, they, they do not like each other. So, uh, that would be a fascinating battle to watch if they could just, um, you know, really truly knock each other out of the way, wreck each other, spin, spin each other out. Uh, and, and the sanctioning body would let it go. And woof, that would be, uh, that'd Must be spicy. What's that? Must watch TV. Oh yeah. Yep. For sure. And that leads us into our next question. Perfect here because Alan W says, um, after nearly every on-track incident in which Ross Chastain was involved with this year, uh, the other drivers made comments that, you know, basically what comes around goes around. I'm, I'm going to get you back kind of thing, right? I'll, I'll race in the same way. So now that the season's over and nobody actually did anything to Chastain except Hamlin basically forcing Chastain to put himself in the wall at Pocono. Which had do you no, think, bear, which in, in the grand scheme of things had no consequence. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Do you think that, that that means Chastain will effectively be allowed by the other drivers to drive like this? More simply put, all these drivers said that Chastain violated some unwritten rule, but nobody did anything about it. So are the drivers all talk? Are they all windbags? I mean, what do you think? I think that there are some drivers who talk a very big game and who we, we, we saw it with Martin Truex Jr. in 2018, right? You know, enjoy the guy who shoves him out of the way at Martinsville. He's won the battle. He didn't win the war. Well, at two weeks later at Homestead, Truex had the opportunity to, to get to Logano and shove him out of the way to win the championship, and Truex didn't do it. Hamlin has had the opportunity. You go back to Martinsville this year in the playoffs. If What better opportunity was there to send a message to Ross Chastain that this is not going to be tolerated than by spinning him out and costing him a spot in the championship four, which, by the way, would have put you in the championship four. And Hamlin didn't do it. And, and that's not a knock on Hamlin. That's just the reality. But I think there, there are a lot of drivers who talk a big game. And then when it comes down to it, they don't always do it. I think if I'm Ross, I'm looking at this saying, I can probably get away with a lot of things. And maybe I have to pick and choose my spots better. But I don't maybe need, need to go back into the, you know, I don't need to be a turtle and go back into my shell. I can, I can still be the Ross that got me here. I just got to be a little bit smarter about it. Well, you know he's going to be aggressive. I mean, he just was in the championship race again with Elliott, although I, I think that was still on Elliott. But certainly Ross maybe could have given him room or lifted, but he didn't want to. And and that's how Ross is going to race, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, I think Ross is more of, you know, knocking people out of the way or, or something like that. Like, that's, that's going to get him in more trouble when he makes mistakes along those lines. Now, a little bit of devil's advocate here. I mean, you know, first of all, the Truex thing. We, we heard that from Truex back with the Jeff Gordon thing at Sonoma way back in the day where he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get him back and, and never did. I think Truex is just such a clean racer kind of thing um, that that's, yeah. you know, he was never going to get him back. But, uh, you know, the Hamlin thing, you try to put myself in Hamlin's shoes for a minute. I, I think the, first of all, if I was a driver and somebody, you know, rubbed me the wrong way over and over. Your my radio would be must listen every single week as you ranted and raved. I mean, if, if you knock me out of the way. And, and I was pissy. I would be like, Jordan Bianchi will never win another race again. Mark my words. I will do everything mm -hmm. I can to make sure that he never wins again. That said, once cooler head, heads prevailed, I think it'd be like, you know what? <clears throat> I don't need to get myself in the muck with Jordan Bianchi because, you know, I, I don't need to stoop to that Jordan's level here. And second of all, like the best way, the best revenge would just be to beat him straight up. 
So I think really, I mean, you talk about Martinsville, Hamlin was in position where he was just, he was going to knock Chastain out of the playoffs. He had two spots on him on the last lap. Who could have foreseen that Chastain would pull that move? So I'm not, I don't think that Hamlin has forgotten it, is done with it. I think you could see some regular season retaliation, but at the same time, the stuff that Chastain did wasn't in the playoffs. And I think that's a whole different level. So I think the, the, the answer is a little bit two part. It, it depends when it happens. Um, I think you could still see guys get Chastain back even for this season. Like if Hamlin's around Chastain, they're racing for racing for win in the regular season. I don't think Hamlin would have a problem moving him playoffs though. is different. So, um, we'll see. Is that a fair answer? Sure. That makes sense. So the next one is about silly season. This comes from Nick Ronaldo. Um, and a couple of other people asked about silly season as well. Um, basically he, he just wanted to see if you could give sort of an overview of the silly season driver market for next year. Um, you know, what, what are you seeing things right now? I mean, you're, you're the guy that's as on top of this as anybody. So, uh, what do you, what do you think? I think it could be eventful again. Here, here's the list of names I have, uh, that are in contract years or are believed to be in contract years. Ross Chastain, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez, Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman, Martin Truex Jr. You look at the teams those guys represent, Trackhouse, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas Racing, Hendrick Motorsports. Those are some of the biggest teams in the sport. Those are potential openings where you look at it and you say, wow, if that guy leaves, that's a big spot. Who could fill that? So we have seen the last few years, I mean, no one foresaw Kyle Busch you know, leaving Joe Gibbs Racing. I don't think anybody saw for, you know, Brad Keselowski leaving to start his own team. Um, it, it seems like we're every year we get these big seismic moves. And I think again, in 2023, it, it's certainly looking at the landscape. I think we could see something similar. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, it's definitely gone from like, well, you know, a lot of these free agents, you know, they are free agents and then they stay. So nothing really happens, even though people are, yeah. people could move to like, Whoa, this is, there's some big movements happening. So yeah, it's, it's tough to foresee. I mean, yeah, like you said, who who could have even imagined Kyle Busch leaving Gibbs in the first place, let alone going to RCR? Uh, exactly. Keselowski, the thing like, uh, you know, last year, uh, that was a question um, on the preseason questions that I had everybody do on The Athletic. And not one person, you know, because he was a free agent, everybody was like, where's where he going to go? Not one person said, oh, he'll he'll go to Roush and be a co-owner. I mean, it's just a lot of the stuff is is so hard to to foresee or predict. So. Um, who knows? Yeah, it, it's going to get, I think it'll continue to get wild and stay kind of crazy though. Um, especially with people on shorter deals, money, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of movement, people trying to position themselves for maybe the next TV deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if that gets more money, you know, Hey, can I, can I leave myself in a spot here where once 2025 comes and the, you know, additional revenue that the teams think is going to happen hits, you know, I don't, I don't want to sign a long-term deal right now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And he, here's the thing I look at, too, is just kind of forecasting a little bit, right? Let's just hypothetically say Martin Truex Jr. retires after next year. Now, there's a lot of I'm not saying it's going to. There's a lot of things at play. But if he does retire, like what does Joe Gibbs Racing do to fill that seat? Right now, there isn't anybody in the Toyota pipeline that you look at and say, oh, man, that guy is he is a for sure star, right? He's a, a prospect that, you know, is going to be big things. They don't have that driver yet. And then kind of looking at the landscape. Like, there's not really anybody out there going off the names I read of, like, do you go get, you know? I mean, 
how do you fill that seat? If you're Stuart Haas Racing and Harvick decides to retire, that's a really big void that you have on your race team right now. What do you do? And so that's to me is the domino effect and the fallout of if some of these moves happen. That that to me is the most interesting. Yeah. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to follow. We'll see how if you can make uh, break some more news next year on top of the five big ones that you got this year. I don't know. That's gonna be tough to top, Jordan. You might want not want to hold yourself to that kind of standard, but yeah. well, I know you will anyway. But yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, here's, here's one from Kim Henkin, uh, that is a twist on one of the ones from the 12 questions that I asked this year. So she says, what are you the most optimistic about for the 2023 season and what worries you the most? Hmm. Interesting. All right. Um, I'm most optimistic about NASCAR's willingness to change the schedule on like a yearly basis and, and add new exciting events. You know, last year it was the clash in 2023. It's going to be North Wilkesboro, which is something I never thought they were going to go back to North Wilkesboro. I mean, I thought that track was dead and gone and buried. Right. And they're going back there to have an all-star race and they're racing in the streets of Chicago, which I, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I'm curious about it. And for so long, we talked about how the schedule was so boring. All of these tracks had too many dates and the summer stretch was God awful. That's not the case anymore. Like the, the schedule, you can look at things like this is kind of fresh and exciting. And then, you know, NASCAR's been very upfront. Like we are going to continue to have a, to push and be dynamic. And, you know, they keep talking about 2024 and what they're going to do with the schedule. It's like, I'm curious what that is. That makes me optimistic that there's a willingness to like say, Hey, we're not going to continue just to do the same old thing. Um, conversely, I guess the thing that worries me, I don't know if it worries me, but the thing I kind of look at is this brewing battle between the owners and NASCAR, which has never really gotten to this point before where they're kind of, you know, really from the owner side, they're, they're kind of taking shots at each other and they're kind of lining up and where that's going to go and the potential ramifications. And I say that too, with the knowledge that this next TV deal is going to soon be negotiated and is any is there any hurdles of not having a deal in place with your teams that could prevent you from getting a bigger deal with your TV networks? For example, if you're signing a TV, a deal, a TV deal, um, is there a concern if you're a television partner saying, wait a second, are we going to have, we're going to have that race, but are the stars going to be there or are the big teams going to be there? Because while that may be a remote possibility as of now, it does exist because of where things are going. So that to me is the the thing I kind of look at and say, okay, let, let's see how this shakes out. So I'm going to agree with you on the first one. Um, I, I love what NASCAR is doing with the schedule. I just think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost hard to remember now. It's, it's, it seems like impossible that for a while, like getting anything on the schedule at all differences from year to year, I mean, there, there'd be a year where, you know, they'd move Pocono by two weeks and that would be like the schedule change for the year or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, Oh, Pocono's a little bit farther from the other Pocono this year. <laughs> you know, um, it just felt so stale <laughs> for so long and nothing could get done with the track companies the way they were. And there was really no, you know, sort of outside the box thinking or innovation. Um, when you think about all the changes that they've been willing to do and, things that they could try in recent years. It's just been incredible. And, you know, it seems like they're still willing to push even further. Um, you know, you already look at next year with, with North, North Wilkesboro and, and the Chicago street race, the clash again, I think it's going to be fun in LA. Um, you know, it's, it's going to continue to, I mean, they're still looking at 
you know, Nashville Fairgrounds of the future. We're looking at, you know, what what's going to happen with Fontana, the short track New there. York is City. that going to? Yeah, I mean that that would be something if they could pull that off. I mean, international, um, yeah. you know, all, all that stuff. So the whole list of stuff, it seems like everything's on the table now where before, Absolutely. like nothing was on the table. You could never, you know, ah, you know, we can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, we just, we can't do we that. Can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was so frustrating for so many years. So I don't want to take for granted at all that, this has been a very innovative approach from NASCAR. And I think it's great. I mean, it gives you, um, look, I'm not going to compliment Bristol dirt here, but what I'm saying is the trying things gives you a chance to look at now. Not everything works, but you try them once. I mean, we don't know if Chicago street race is going to work, but I think, I think it, it I'm optimistic about it. But now the other thing, trying, trying, yeah, try it now, but you have to, you know, you have to go back if it doesn't work. You, you, you know, you have to revert, reverse and, and try something else. If you say, ah, this wasn't the best idea, don't just keep sticking with it um, and and thinking that it'll magically make itself better. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the thing that worries me the most, I, I think I would just go with safety. I don't want it to be a continuous thing. You know, yes, they're going to redesign the rear clips and hopefully that makes it better um, and, and less injuries with the, with the rear impacts. But I am definitely concerned that it becomes a story like, oh, this guy's out with concussion. Oh, another driver missing races. Oh, this is, you know, it continues to go on and on sure. because at now that they've sort of done this redesign that they're going to be implementing, what happens if you get to, you know, the first month of next season and you still have drivers getting, you know, hurt, suffering hard impacts. And now you go, uh oh, we already made a change here. We can't make another change mid season. We're gonna have to wait till next year. Or what do we do? You know, how does that unfold? How does that work? Whew, that's going to be, that's not going to be a fun storyline at all. It's going to cause a lot of just, it's just not going to be enjoyable for anybody to talk about. And it's going to be terrible to see the drivers go through this and, and impact the playoffs or whatever it's going to be. So I just hope that that's not the case, but it, it's definitely concerning. And I hope that, uh, I hope that's not something that happens. Fair point. The next question is from Corey and uh, he wants to talk about, the revolving door in the recent years in the 20 car, you know, cause he sees that Eric Jones now had uh, a great season in the 43 with Petty totally outperformed his teammate. Ty Dillon clearly has a lot of talent. He won Southern 500, um, and really had some chances to win, um, some other races, but Christopher bell had quite the breakthrough season, made the final four, had those two wins to get himself off the chopping block in the playoffs uh, in the last two eliminations. So, Everything said, Corey's wanting to know, did Joe Gibbs make the right move replacing Eric Jones with Christopher Bell in the 20 car? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Jones is a year younger, which I sometimes we, we forget that, right? He has more experience than Bell, and he's actually younger than Bell. I think Jones has incredible upside. If I was a team owner, I would want Eric Jones in my race car. If I was Joe Gibbs racing, and I and this was really a tough predicament, and it pro, it was very unlikely, I would have done. And I know they tried, I, I, and I know they tried. I just would have figured out a way, somehow, some way, to keep both of those guys within my camp. But if I've got to pick one, I'm probably going to go with Bell. And the answer to that is because the people I talk to who are smarter than I am and know these things, when you ask them about raw ability. They will tell you that Chris Rebell is a generational talent and he is a difference maker. And while Jones is extremely talented in himself, 
Bell just has that little missing thing that can that is a difference maker. So I guess Bell would be the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see what Bell just did and go, well, that wasn't a good move. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, Jones has not won multiple races in a season. Let's, you know, while he's super talented, that's a fact. So I, you know, I, I think that yeah, if you had stuck with Jones, could you have gotten similar results? Yes, I, I probably think so. But um, you know, Bell doesn't is certainly doesn't seem like a mistake at all at this point. He's only going to get better, and he's clearly extremely talented. He's got you know a really good demeanor uh, in terms of you know not letting the pressure get to him in these races, and and you know he's got all the sort of like the boxes you'd want to check for somebody who's going to be with your team for a long time. Now that said. If you are Joe Gibbs, I mean, I don't know if you've burned a bridge uh, the way that you let Jones go, but, um, you know, w- would would you ever be opening to bringing him back? I mean, it would probably be more of like, does he want to come back? But, um, you know, you, you're you going to have more retirements. You know, you already mentioned Truex. Hamlin's not going to be around forever. Um, and you said that Toyota doesn't have, you know, necessarily ready guy. I mean, you have John Hunter Nemechek out there, but is he the, the answer to fill these seats. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Jones, if he, if he keeps on this trajectory, he'll be a great free agent if, if he chooses to move elsewhere at some point. So, um, you know, I think, I think he's, he's still got a lot of time ahead of him. You know what I mean? 100%. He's, he's got a lot of time and and usually we don't see drivers who have lost rides be able to sort of bounce back and redeem themselves. We've now seen it, uh, with Jones and Suarez, really. So, um, you know, those were another, another driver that was in the, the JGR pipeline and yep. they gave up on pretty quickly there. So mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast. Most items can ship overnight. Plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, so uh, somewhat along these lines, who will have a better, this is from Ryan M., who will have the better season next year, Tyler Reddick with 2311 or Kyle Busch with Richard Jules Racing? This will be one of the most popular preseason questions I'm sure that everybody will be talking about. <laughs> So what's your, what's your, uh, what's your take going to be on this one? I'm all in on Reddick. If I, if I could buy stock in Tyler Reddick next year, I absolutely would. I like what 2311 is doing. I like where that organization is heading. They had a very fast cars last year. They have, you can see the progress, increment, incremental progress that this team has made. And I feel like if Kurt Busch was staying in that car and they could have sorted out the bubble walls pit crew issues earlier, they both would have been multi-time winners this year. Um, I like what Toyota is doing with that team. I'm really excited. My issue with Kyle Busch going to Richard Childress Racing, while Richard Childress Racing had a very, very good 2022, stellar 2022. Reddick won three races, could have won more. Austin Dillon won a race. We have not seen from Richard Childress Racing year-to-year high-level consistency where they've been able to win multiple races in back-to-back years for a long time. I need to see that from them before I believe that Kyle Busch can go over there and have a great year. I'm also curious to see the fit. Kyle Busch, say what you want, but at Joe Gibbs Racing, they did a really good job of, I don't know how to say it, like keeping Kyle contained, right? Like, you know, not, you know, it took a while, but they got to a point where they knew how to work with Kyle and he, you know, didn't, 
let himself become uh, things spiral. How is gonna how is Richard Childress Racing gonna gonna be able to handle that um, when when things are going wrong? If Kyle's cars aren't where he wants them to be because RCR has not had that consistency, is Kyle going to be able to handle that? And how, who's going to be able to manage him over there? That's my concern. I, I mean, you make great points. Um, I will say that you know you talk about consistency from year to year. That's something that. I mean, 2311 is so young and they're still building. Remember, it's not, they didn't get the established team thing like track house where they were just able to make some tweaks and then build, you know, they're, they're still building very much. Sure. And, you know, Tyler Reddick, you know, he's going to a completely new group for him. Um, I have no doubt that in the long run, Tyler Reddick will have tons of success there. He'll win a championship there. I think he's extremely talented and he's going to be, you know, a contender for a long time to come. But when you, you talk about, you know, the three wins that he just had at, at RCR Kyle Bush is now stepping into that car. That eight car was good this year and he has the same group with him. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a group that's, I'm not saying it's going to be plug and play, but um, you know, I, I think Kyle Bush will, will be able to find success there. I think he'll be highly motivated. Um, they can sort of build around him a bit uh, when, when he speaks in those meetings um, and says, Hey, Guys, I think this is the direction we need to go in. Everybody's going to look at Kyle Busch and go, "Okay, well, you know, I mean, yeah, well, let's 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 see what we can do here. Let's see if Kyle's right." So, um, I actually think the you know, in just terms of next year, I think Kyle Busch could could outperform Tyler Reddick. Well, let me say this: Why do we still think Kyle Busch is that caliber driver? What have we seen from Kyle Busch over the last three years since 2020? To think that he is that kind of driver that's going to elevate a team. He's won four races since 2020. Four. He's like, not over the hill. I mean, I'm not saying he's over the hill, but he's 30. He's 37 what, years old. We we know I from our friend that. David Smith that a driver's sure, peak age I, is age 39. Not, it, but it's also a fit. These cars, this whatever, he, he has not acclimated well to this car. The old rules package either. He didn't acclimate well. Like it's it's concerning to me that Kyle Busch has not won. A lot lately and it's at some point there's a lot of fingers have been pointed at some point you got to start pointing the fingers at yourself of what am i doing wrong what what can i do better tyler reddick won three races last year kyle bush has won four races over the last three years i tell you what jordan this is like a pattern with you the guy who it sticks a fork in lewis hamilton's back not wrong by the way went winless this year you're welcome okay well anyway uh i <laughs> i don't think that it's time to stick a fork in Kyle Busch, Jordan. Uh, I think not that saying that you're like, well, what's he, what's he done? I think there's, yeah, I think there are, you know, there are fair questions to ask. He's Kyle Busch. Have you, have you watched this guy's career? I mean, Kyle Busch. He's won. Okay. That's fine. He's won again. He won one race this year, which by the way, came to him on a silver platter at Bristol dirt when the two leaders in front of him crashed on the last lap. Like, he was that he was a half a lap away from not making the playoffs. Like, and again, he had a lot of misfortune this year, could have won more races. But again, I just look at this like he is Kyle Busch. He is incredibly talented. He is one of the most talented drivers ever in NASCAR. But like these last few years have been a struggle. Like, why is that? Well, I mean, for one thing, he his crew chief uh, that he had through the last few years, it, it wasn't a good pairing, I don't think. Uh, to the sure. point where that crew chief, Ben Bayshore, is not going to be a cup crew chief at Joe Gibbs Racing next year. They replaced him. 
uh, once, you know, Kyle Busch, you know, he said after the Phoenix race, I had some magic with Adam Stevens. He said, we could have been the Jimmy and Chad. Uh, they had one struggle year and they broke him up. Um, Adam Stevens then goes to the final four with Christopher Bell. I mean, you talk about a fit, you talk about the, the distractions he had all year. I mean, I'm not, you know, yes, it sounds like a bunch of excuses, but I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to save this clip. And, uh, sure. when I'm right next sure. year, I'll, uh, I'll remind you like, of this. There's a case that can be made. Like to everything you said, like Kyle Bush could go to RCR. He's looser. He's energized. He's out to, you know, prove all his doubters wrong. And he goes over there and just beats everybody up. Kind of like what he did when he went to Joe Gibbs racing 15 years ago. There's very much that could happen. I just, I, I don't, I'm not ready to go on that limb yet. Jared B wants to know what is your most anticipated race next year? Uh, he says mine is yeah, North Wilkesboro and he got tickets. Congrats to you, Jared. Wow. Uh, almost as hard to get those tickets as Taylor Swift tickets, it seems, but, <laughs> um, so what, what's your most anticipated race? Jordan? It's gotta be North Wilkesboro. Like, I don't know how you pick anything, but North Wilkesboro, just because this is like, I get this track was dead. This track was never coming back. We all said it like, and now they're having an all-star race there. Like, it's crazy to think about the transformation that this track has undergone in the last two, yeah, December, 2019 from now it's like it's crazy so it is a hundred percent north wilkesboro and they're having the all-star race there yeah so um i mean i'm, I'm gonna disagree uh i think north wilkesboro i mean i'm very excited about it i would put it p2 um a couple things for me I, you know it's just this is my personal opinion so first of all i don't have a history with north wilkesboro i don't have any attachment to it like i've never seen a race there so for me, it's like, I think, oh, wow, that's cool. But I've never like been there. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, well, this is cool. Yeah. It's a piece of history. It's coming back. Um, but you know, I'm also concerned about like short tracks, right? Like short track racing hasn't been good with this car. If they don't fix it, that's not going to be a good race. Like, you know, Martinsville ish type race. Right. So I guess I'm a little hesitant. The other thing about is it's the all-star race. All-star races have not been amazing uh in any recent years that i mean that i can think of i haven't been like wow man all-star race woo you know like honestly like for me my first race ever was at rockingham that was the last rockingham race 2004 so like if they said rockingham is coming back i would have this incredible like nostalgia inside to like be able to go back there and see a race again and relive those memories just on a personal level, like I said, I, I didn't grow up going to North Wilkesboro or covering North Wilkesboro. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be cool. I, th I think it's going to be a great atmosphere, but I don't really know what to expect or anticipate. So for me, it's not my most anticipated race, which goes to the Chicago street course because sure. NASCAR cup series has never had a street course race uh, in its history. It's certainly been at North Wilkesboro and you know, Maybe there was a reason that they left, uh, at, you know, back then. Um, but I, I'm very, very, you know, I don't know that the racing is going to be good at the Chicago street race, f maybe for some of the same reasons that we've talked about with the car, like the road courses weren't amazing and it's going to be a narrow street course with sharp turns. But I, I am so, 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 so curious to see what NASCAR does with this, how they're going to pull it off, what kind of infrastructure 
they're going to bring in there with the, you know, the, all the temporary stands and the suites and, uh, the festival atmosphere around it, you know, it's going to be as close as NASCAR gets to an F1 type environment, right in, in one of America's biggest cities, right in, in the heart of it, in the coolest area, in the coolest part of it. Um, the, the skyline right there. I mean, anybody that's been to Grant park, millennial park, that area, it's, it's amazing. Like the, the photo ops are incredible there. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's going to be really, really cool. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it's just going to be a great day. You're gonna have a lot of skepticism about it from NASCAR fans, but it's also going to be a lot of newer fans. And I think it's going to be a cool vibe. So, um, when you talk about moving the sport forward in sort of the next generation of things, and, and we talked about the clash last year, right? What could the stadium concept do if it's successful? The same thing will be said about the Chicago street race where you go, okay, wow, that worked or it didn't, maybe it won't, but if it works now, this opens the door to other cities, right? And so what, what could that mean for NASCAR in the future? That's why it's my most anticipated race, just as the clash was my most anticipated race for this year. So that's, that's my personal reasons. I'm not slamming North Wilkesboro in any stretch of the imagination. I just am more looking forward to seeing what happens in Chicago. It's a, it's a one, a one B thing. I think, um, Tyler, uh, I didn't get his last name there. Uh, he wants to know who is the next driver basically to make a Ross Chastain type rise and get into good equipment. He's opens this to any of the, the three national series. Now you have to remember, I mean, Ross Chastain was driving in the Xfinity series for JD motorsports. I mean, you're thinking about like Ryan Vargas doing that this year. Uh, he was driving the cup series for like premium motorsports in that 15 car. Um, and then he, you know, he got an opportunity, worked his way up, um, and started winning races and got his cup opportunity. So is there anybody out there, um, that you see as sort of the next Ross Chastain? It's a really good question. And, and looking at it in on the cup series, there isn't really one driver who jumps out. It means I'd like to see him get an opportunity. I mean, I would like to see Corey LaJoy, you know, in great equipment and see what he can do. Um, but looking in the Xfinity series, there's two names that jump out to me. Uh, one is Ryan Sieg and what he has done with his family owned team and, and been able to kind of run with the big boys and, and sometimes often beat them, even on like mile and a half racetracks. That's pretty tremendous to the point. It would be interesting to see what he could do if you could put him in elite equipment where he didn't have to worry about everything else. I, I think he's got a lot of talent and a lot of upside. He's somebody to take a flyer on. The other guy is Stefan Parsons. Um, you know, Parsons had some really, really good runs last year in the Xfinity series for various teams. Didn't always have the finishes to go along with it, but he has flashed talent to me that says, Hey, if you put this guy in, in good equipment, he might be able to do something. Those are the two that jump out to me. I'm not sure. I actually see somebody along the same path right now. I actually asked Ross this earlier in the year, you know, when he was starting to have success, like who, who's the next guy that's, who do you see out there that kind of reminds you of yourself? And he couldn't come up with an answer. And he was just like, uh, he thought for a long time, he's like, can I get back to you on that? Cause I can't really think of anybody. I think sometimes a, there's a temptation to go, man, there's so many people out there. And if they could, you know, cause the car matters so much. If they could just get in good equipment, they would, they could do what these guys are doing, right? A Bowman type, right? Um, who, where he was from Tommy Baldwin racing, he was cast out and, and forgotten about, um, you know, even, even Suarez gaunt brothers type thing, right? Ah, you know, now he didn't, he didn't have to, he, he was in better rides from the start, but somebody that's in like sort of, you know, bad equipment or back marker equipment type stuff right now, who could really shine if they were in better stuff. 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the one that, that would always come to mind immediately and instantly was Parker Kligerman. And now he's going to get that great chance in the Xfinity series for big machine. I'm very excited to see what he can do with it. But just because, you know, Ross is able to do it. I mean, that might say more about Ross than anything else. Like Ross may be sort of that unique talent. Um, now there, there's many, many guys out there for sure who could run better if they were in better cars. I'm not saying that, but to say on the Ross level, like a guy who could like make the final four and win races at the cup level, um, I, I don't know. I like you. I'm de- definitely curious about Corey LaJoy. I mean, he could definitely, uh, if he, if you gave him like a great ride, like what could he do? Um, but I don't have a great answer for you right there, Tyler. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's go to the next question, which is from Jeff C. And he says, when is NASCAR going to make stages or changes to the stage system? He says, stage breaks suck, especially at road courses. Why can't we just race through the end of the stage and pay the points and keep going like they did back in the day with halfway money? I think there's good news on the horizon for Jeff C here. Cause I think that NASCAR, they, they've hinted at this already. Uh, mm-hmm. to some of us. And it seems like they're seriously considering a change for next year um, that would allow them to keep the the race green at road courses, uh, still pay the stage points um, and, and, you know, mark them. But I think there's definitely a possibility. Uh, they're definitely looking at this for sure at this point um, to where they would go, okay, like this has kind of messed up the strategy on road courses because everybody just does the same thing now, right? You either have to short pit the stage and you know, like, do I want stage points? Do I want to stay out or do I want to put myself in position, you know, better for the end of the race to try to win it. It's, it's too at most of the road course. Anyway, it's too straightforward. And there's a lot of road courses now. Why not keep them green? See if the strategies mix it up. Um, you know, maybe that causes some road courses to, to be a little bit more boring or something if the field gets strung out, but that's no different than back in the day. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think they're looking at it and I think that would be a great change, um, personally. So what, what do you think? I'm over stages in general. Like you want to, really? in general, yeah, I'm just get rid of them. Like I, I you want to continue to reward, you know, like you said, have the, have stage points, but not have the breaks. I, I, that's fine. If you want to say, Hey, at flat 50, we're going to award the top 10 guys points. Like you are. We are not going to stop the race, though. Get rid of these cautions. They drive me crazy. It's just not road courses, Jeff, either. Pocono's another track. Michigan. Um, I would say the super speedways at Daytona and Talladega, where the strategy has kind of flipped, and it, it's kind of gone out the window a little bit. If you ever go back to the Indy Oval, that's another one. Like, I'm just over them. They don't do anything. They, they, they take away from the race more than they add to it. A lot of the times, the strategy is just thrown out the window. It's pretty straightforward. I don't like it. And I, you know, the idea is that it gives you an opportunity to have a, a designated caution and it, you know, your, your TV partner can take a break and have commercials and not miss any of the action. And you're going to get those restarts and those restarts are great. And it tightens everything up fine. Whatever. I, I get all that. I just think in the greater good, it, it it's, it, it hurts more than it helps. I, I'm all in favor of just getting rid of stage breaks. Uh, I mean, I certainly at the road I, courses, I, I, what? I just don't want to have a schedule too, though. Of like, oh, what week? Where are we racing this week? Oh, is there stage? Is there stage breaks? Or there's no stage breaks. Oh, we better ask Bob on Twitter. Like, I just, I'm done with that. I don't need that. I mean, come on, it's not that complicated. If you, you say, okay, road courses don't have like, stage breaks. Period. Okay, but then again, why? You could make that case over again, Pocono. Like, Pocono shouldn't have stage breaks. There is no way that Pocono should have stage breaks. 
you, the only good part of Pocono Jordan is restarts and you give them another, you give them two restarts. Uh, if you have a stage break, same as super speedways, you get an exciting finish. You get another restart intermediate tracks. The first few laps after a restart is the best part of the race. So look at us. We're like reversing now. Like now you're embracing the entertainment aspects of things. And I'm saying, no, let's go back to the more of the old school approach. I think that if you're, I mean, right now the product to intermediate tracks, you just said was the most exciting. Why would you mess with that in any way? Because I mean, again, road courses have that though. Like you can have great racing without having stage breaks. Okay. I, yeah, I don't really agree with you on that one, but, um, all right. Well, uh, this next one is from Nate D. Uh, and he says, what do you think about the idea that the all-star race winner gets to pick the track and the format for the next all-star rate race? Then the event is fully in the hands of the drivers. The tracks and the sponsors uh, can sort of vie for the drivers and uh, say, oh, you know, pitch themselves. Um, So how how do you feel about that question? Uh, Yes and no. I love the idea that the all-star race winner gets to pick the format for the next year. It would be really creative to see what some of these guys come up with. You know, is there an invert? Is there just all of the, just let them have whatever they want. And and what is Kyle Busch going to pick? Or what would Logano pick? Or Elliot or whoever? That would be really interesting to see and dissect. And then really to see how it works and then come back to them and go, oh, yeah, you know, I could have done this differently or that. That would be fun. I do not like the idea of the driver picking the venue um, for a couple of reasons. One, you got to know in advance where that race is going to be. And honestly, there are some tracks that just frankly does not does not deserve the all-star race. Um, and I want to be very protective of where I put that. And I, honestly, looking at North Wilkesboro and what NASCAR might do with the all-star race going forward and maybe, you know, potentially out there of kind of rotating it from, you know, various short tracks, you know, grassroots tracks, if you will, that that's out there possibly. I don't want to get away from that. And I don't want to have a driver say, oh, you know, I don't want to go race at, uh, you know, South Boston or Hickory. I'd rather go to Atlanta. I'm like, no, we're good. Thanks. You know, sorry. We're going to keep doing what we're doing because it's better overall for the product and for NASCAR, not your own personal preference. Yeah. It's, I don't think you can let the drivers uh, pick the track, but uh, for, for all the reasons you mentioned, but the, the format, yeah, I think that'd be really cool because think about it, right? Like the driver, he has a deadline to come up with the format. He, you know, unveils it on a, on TV or in a press conference or something. And then everybody goes, okay, this is the Kyle Larson format. And, Ooh, this is interesting this year. Kyle Larson has brought one of his favorite dirt racing formats Mm. to the all-star race. And, Oh, okay. This is the Larson. Now, if it's a bad format, everybody blames Larson. He's got to wear it now, but he's going to say, he's going to try to promote it. He's going to try to say, no, this, this is why it's good. This is why it's interesting. And people will like it or not like it and debate about it. Um, uh, but the, the driver wears it. Um, it, it's like the, the master's champion at Augusta getting to choose the, yeah. the dinner for the next year. Right. Um, so, and, and conversely, you know, maybe it's a, you know, it's an asphalt guy or something. He says, well, you know what? I want to do a straight up race. I don't want to have uh, a format or, you know, like I just want to decide it. No, no cautions or, or whatever. hundred lap or, race, straightforward, checkered or green, checkered flag, green flag to checkered flag, whatever. Some, and maybe somebody yeah. says, Oh, you're, you know, you're an idiot. You made the all-star race terrible. Like, why'd you do that? This is boring. Um, you know, maybe they'll, somebody will come up with inverts, whatever it is, like the driver's going to get asked about it in the weeks leading up to it. They're going to be trying to sell it. They're going to have some investment. Um, and usually the person that wins the all-star race is, is a fairly big name. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's going to be a prominent person. And, and I think, you know, they'd probably be trying to get other drivers on board. Maybe they'd even seek 
feedback from other drivers and say, no, this guy agreed with me too now. I like, got an idea. Uh-huh. Okay. So the driver has, so the, the driver who's picking the format has to go on race hub and announce their format. Right. Okay. But all of the other drivers are in attendance and don't know the format, or at least, you know, maybe they do because they've had the conversations, but a lot of them don't. And they learn the format for the first time and they're dissecting this. And we get to see their reactions on live TV as they're picking this apart and asking questions like that is the stupidest freaking thing I've ever heard of. Why are you doing that? Or they're like, oh my God, that's awesome. And you just get this dialogue of, you know, that would be interesting, right? You'd watch that on a Wednesday night. That's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. Why is that not a good idea? Because drivers don't 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 all agree, and you're trying to sell yes. the all star race format. And when you have, if it cuts to a shot of all the drivers shaking their heads and go, "Oh God, this is going to be a stupid format," who's going to watch that? You know, like I would, because I want to hear their interactions. I want, and then you go to them, like, no, 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 no. I, I get format. people would watch the show, but who's going to watch the race if if you see all the drivers go, "Oh God, really? That's pff, whatever." You know what I mean? Like they're you're not going to want to tune in. You want to. You, you want to have the guy wear it and have it on him and, and he's the one selling it versus other dri- drivers take, taking away from it, in my opinion. But I want to put them in combustible scenario situations where, you know, fireworks can happen. Well, along those lines, I, I really want to have some NASCAR version of like the cool down room in F1 where the yes. top three all go into that room afterwards and you get to hear you eavesdrop <laughs> on their conversation afterwards <laughs> as they're watching the highlights and, you know, be like, ah, I can't believe that or that wasn't a caution or you know, can you believe that oh, Ross got into this guy again? Oh man, boy, he's going to get it next time. Like, just <laughs> let us hear that. Let us hear that. That's such a cool yes. thing uh, that F1 does. And uh, that would be great for NASCAR. Like the, especially if it's guys that don't like each other and there's an awkwardness oh, yeah. there. Gosh, like that, that's what, yeah, I, I would love to see that. I'd love to see that for sure. Um, next question. Brad V is asking about Brad K. Uh, he's a Brad Kozlowski fan. And uh, so basically, He's saying, you know, what what do you think allows steam teams like 2311 and Trackhouse to compete right away with a new car while RFK seems to have struggled quite a bit? Is it money, the right people, something else? Um, I'll, I'll give my take first here. So, I, you know, I think in, in uh, the Trackhouse case, first of all, I mean, I think they were much closer to being a, a playoff-ready team. I mean, they were already competitive under the Ganassi banner, so to speak. And they make some culture changes there, great culture changes and, and get everybody to buy in. And they're able to, you know, find that much more speed and, and great minds and employees who all believed. And, uh, you know, I think you can see some magic there, that kind of thing. Now, 2311, uh, is, is a much different situation because they were truly more of a startup team, but you know, they also have, you know, the Toyota Alliance and, uh, Toyota, you know, helping them, you know, sim wise and data sharing kind of stuff. And, and, you know, you have good drivers over there, good people. Um, I think what the, you know, the thing with RFK is it it was a whole culture thing that needs to, you know, what they had there was not good enough. And that's why they hadn't been winning, uh, in so many years and hadn't been competitive. So when you go into a team that's that far behind, um, you know, I think it's going to take, take some time. Now at the end of the season, they got a lot more competitive by the end of the year, I thought. And, uh, you know, they, they've clearly made some steps. So they're the type of team where, Hey, you continue to make those changes and get on the right track. Uh, you, you know, you're going to be onto something and, and you can compete a bit. Um, but you know, I, I think in general, like they were just, to me, they were just farther behind, you know, it wasn't the right people. It wasn't the right, uh, SIM pro programs or whatever they have. And so now it's, it's going to take, you know, more time to build, but you know, the other two teams were simply, um, you know, in 2311's case, they were starting from 
sort of a blank sheet and could hire their own people. And, and track house was close to being, uh, to putting the pieces together. So that's where I see that. I think we're not giving RFK. If you look at what 2311 did in year one and what Trackhouse did in year one, it's not too dissimilar from what RFK racing did this year. Trackhouse did not win a race in its first year. Daniel Suarez finished 25th in points. He was competitive at times, but they did not win a race. 2311 in its first year, you got to remember, they struggled a lot. They had a lot of races where they should have finished better than they did, and they didn't. They 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 started strong, and they would kind of they would miss it, and then they they kind of figured it out at the end. But it was they weren't getting the results. They didn't win a race until October at Talladega. Um, RFK won a race this year, uh, and they won it in September at, at Bristol. Um, Trackhouse, to your point, Jeff, and you're right. A lot of the reason why they were able to really kind of go from where they won in year where they were in year one to this year was the fact that they basically bought Chip, they did buy Chip Ganassi Racing, and they basically kind of imported a lot of people from that organization into their own. And it was, they kind of bought a turnkey operation. Um, I think RFK, I was expecting a little bit more from Brad this year. That's fair. Like he did not have the results I thought he would, but he was at the end of the year, he was running in the top 10 on a fairly regular basis. You know, you include the Martinsville race where he got thrown out, you know, the result got thrown out because they failed tech. He was running well. Chris won a race. Like, I think they made really good strides to where next year in their second year, it wouldn't be completely shocking to me to see them kind of make that leap like we saw 2311 make and like something similar to Trackhouse. So I, I think that they did a good job this year. I would like to see more. Sure. I still think they're in a good spot for next year. Do you, you know, we haven't looked at our playoff picks really this yet, but. Oh my God, it's going to be so tough to pick. Do you, do you think that you have the RFK cars in the playoffs next year? Cause it's sitting here right now. I think it's going to be so competitive that I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I want to give Brad the benefit of the doubt. Like I did this year. Like, I think he's a very talented driver and there are certain tracks where he is just, it's his skill set is obvious, right? Martinsville is on that list, super speedways. And so, I mean, if you're asking me now. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to think he's going to get a win and he's going to be in the playoffs. But man, next year, Jeff, there's honest to God, there's 22, 23 drivers legit. I can make a case for making the playoffs next year. Yeah. Well, when there's 19 different winners in a season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you no, know, you're right. I mean, you know what? It's probably even a higher number than that, but it's like, like, here's the thing. Like I can see a Justin Haley next year. Cause Justin Haley had a really good year. His first full season in cup. People don't realize he had a really, really good year. Colleague made a good leap like him going out next year and, and putting together a bunch of finishes and, you know, points wise or finding a way to win a race. Like that wouldn't shock me. You know, AJ Allmendinger is going to come in and my expectations, he's going to win a race. Like it's, it's going to be ridiculously tough next year to, to make the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree at all. It's going to be very, uh, yeah, I, I would say we're going to get our lowest number next year on the playoffs uh, on our, the number of playoff oh, yeah. drivers we get correct. Um, because it's just going to be, it's going to be a challenge. It's, there's going to be a lot to consider. Um, speaking of consideration, Daniel wants to know if Kentucky and Chicago land will ever be considered again for a return. What, what do you think about that? I mean, listen, North Wilkesboro's taught us anything. It's that you, you never say never, right? Like nothing is ever really done. That said, I, I just consider it unlikely in the sense that, you know, NASCAR for the next three years is committed to running the Chicago street course. So running at Chicago land doesn't make a lot of sense. 
there has been a lot of backroom chatter that, you know, Chicagoland is for sale and that, you know, the right bidder came along, it could be had. So, you know, is NASCAR willing to sit on property for the next three years? I, I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. And Kentucky, I, I think Speedway Motorsports, if you look at what they're doing, their their priorities are elsewhere right now, right? I mean, they they just redid Atlanta. There there's a lot of talk about them focusing on Texas. Nashville is obviously high on that list. I don't see Kentucky filling that void. And and really, what does Kentucky bring to the table other than another in, intermediate track? And while the racing is great on intermediate tracks, I do think you have to have a balance. And I don't want to go back to having too many of them. So I, I don't see a place for Chicago and Kentucky long term. You know, for, for Kentucky, where's that date going to come from? I guess. I mean, exactly. you just repaved Atlanta. Um, so you just put a lot of money into that and you have it super speedway stylish race now. And, um, so I think it would be hard to feel like people are going to get excited about Kentucky, even though like intermediates, like you said, are, are the best thing right now. If they go, Hey, you know, NASCAR's coming out of the schedule and they're doing all these innovative things. Guess what? And we're going back to Kentucky silence. Oh, yeah, you know? it's going like, to be like <laughs> um, getting socks for Christmas. <laughs> I do think that Chicago, you know, I, I wouldn't close the door on Chicago just because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with the street race. Like it's not sure. probably not going to have a street race there for five years. Right. Like, are they going to do that every year and go to Chicago street race over and over and over again? I mean, that's going to kind of wear off and you want to be kind of in that market. And I think there is some sort of like, I mean, that was the, the slide job. That was that race. If you don't like the this kind of racing, don't even watch, you know, yeah. um, that kind of stuff. Uh, so you mean you had some good races toward the end of Chicago lands lifespan there. And, uh, you know, I, I think you could, you could maybe salvage that in a way, uh, that, that might work. I, I don't know. You know, maybe if you have to repave it, it's not as attractive or I don't know, but, um, you know, if you can get to another worn out surface and with these cars, the way things are now, um, you know, I, maybe some, some stuff has to be done to get it ready and things like that. And, and obviously the area is changing with the warehouses around there and not just cornfields anymore, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't close the door on it completely, but you make a really good point about the market though. Like if it, you know, let's just say this three courses got three years, right. And it was, it was contentious just to get this on the table. And so maybe this is the shelf life of, hey, we don't want to leave the Chicago market. It is too valuable to, to leave that. And this is our only alternative. Maybe that that's passed. So that, that is a selling point for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Matt in New Jersey really loved both Atlanta races this year and thought that the changes made for much better racing. But, you know, he sensed that you and I did not love the changes and are opposed to similar changes in the future to other tracks like Texas. So he was just wondering, you know, wh what did we not like about it? Because he feels like that, you know, it made for some exciting racing there. So, you know, what's the deal with us? You want to, I mean, I think we're yeah, in uh, lockstep uh, here. It's yeah. just, I just think, um, you have to be careful, you know, look, did it make it more entertaining? Yes, it did.
but at some point you, you don't want your series to, it, it was interesting to me. I listened to the Dale Jr. Download with Brian France, um, which, you know, for the large part was kind of, uh, unsatisfactory. Like I didn't get a lot of the answers that I was looking for. He still defended, for instance, putting Jeff Gordon into the chase as a 13th driver. Still now he thinks that was the right thing to do. I still totally disagree with that. Like hated that, you know, but one thing that he, he talked about was the credibility of the formats, the credibility of the championship kind of stuff. And, and, when credibility is questioned, like that's all you have as a sport. And I was a little bit surprised to hear him say that in a way, because he made some formats, you know, that were, you know, challenged the credibility a bit. Right. But if that is still a thing and, and people within NASCAR still care about like, Hey, we've, yes, we want to have it entertaining, but we also need to have like a straight up race. We need to have these guys be able to go out and not just, go to Bristol dirt and run around in some sort of clown show kind of thing. We've got to put our guys in position to race it out. Um, you know, those, those opportunities are sort of getting fewer and fewer because you already have super speedways. You already have, you know, one-off events and, and things that aren't sort of like the most traditional type stuff. I don't want to see a track change to where you can't go back. Cause right now, like, we all talked about, oh, the, the true intermediate tracks are the most entertaining racing. Well, now Atlanta's already changed to a super speedway type format. So you can't go back to that until it wears out over a course of years. I mean, you've already made it a certain way. I, I would rather see, you know, the, the packages change on cars or the venues change. But don't, when you go down that road and you make a whole bunch of super speedways and you lose the soul of traditional NASCAR, that's, it's, it's going too far. It's just, it's going down a road that you might not be able to come back from and you need them. You need to feel like, Hey, you're still seeing the best guys do their thing. And not just like, I mean, like, look, no, no offense, to Corey LaJoy, but when a Spire motorsports car is competing for the win at a race late, late on a, you know, late restart kind of thing. I mean, you're like, that that's cool. It's entertaining, but there, there's a reason that, you know, you have the elite teams uh, typically go to the, some of these tracks and I'm rambling, but you get my point. I, I don't disagree. I just, I, Atlanta is what Atlanta is. It's fine. I just, I'm, I'm concerned. Like I don't want to see every intermediate track become this. And like, this is a cure all solution of like, Oh, you know, well, the racing needs to be better here. Let's, let's do what Atlanta did and turn it into a super speedway. I, I like variety. I like having different things. Um, I, I do not want to have more than I, I, well, there's six right now. I don't want to have more than six super speedway races. Yeah, that's, it's, it's probably too much as it is, honestly, but, um, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to keep going down that road. Just, just my personal opinion. Um, so we have another Matt now, uh, this is Matt S. If both of you were in charge of NASCAR going into the 2023 season, what would be the first rule you implement into NASCAR's top three series? This is a tough one. It's, uh, I, I don't immediately have an answer. Nothing comes to mind. I would say, you know, let me think. I would say something like what Ty Gibbs did. Um, I forgot the racetrack. But basically, if a driver does an aggressive action towards another driver on pit road where it puts crew members in danger, automatic suspension. Not a fine, not a points thing, 
it is an automatic one race suspension because that is a something that you just can't happen. And when you see a driver like Ty Dillon, I think he was it Ty, Ty Dillon, Ty Gibbs. I think it was Ty Dillon. You body slam somebody like that on pit road. That's just, that's, that's a no, no, that is a no fly zone. So I think mine would also be, uh, along the lines of, um, a Ty Gibbs rule, but sort of something different, which is that if in NASCAR's judgment, you are deemed to have like aggressively wrecked the leader of a race, um, you cannot win that race. You get sent to the back, like as the last car in the lead lap. Um, now does that mean you can't do a bump and run on somebody? You can't move somebody. Of course that doesn't mean that you can make contact with the leader going for a win. That is NASCAR, but to just drive in there and wreck the leader of a race, you, you shouldn't be able to be rewarded for that. Um, and therefore it, it, you know, just like we saw with this, uh, this Florence race that, you know, Dale jr. Was in, like he was ruled to meet, to make contact with somebody and he got sent to the back Now they didn't, they didn't, they weren't consistent with that rule. Um, oh, there was some officiating issues last night, man, what a mess that clown show was. Uh, so you have to be consistent with it, but you know, that's what NASCAR is there for. They're making these judgments. Um, you know, you could say, well, you know, you might even apply that judgment to the Logano Byron thing. That's pretty borderline at Darlington, you know, mm. um, that, that would be controversial, but basically the rule is if you aggressively knock the leader out of the way, um, and wreck them, that, that is the line right there. Like if they end up crashing because of your actions, uh, you can't win either. That's all. Uh, you just finish 20, whatever. So now the other rule I was thinking of when, when I was reading this question was reduce the four race automatic suspension penalty to one race because that the four oh, race for the, for the loose whale, for the right, loose right, right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, said that. yeah. yeah. Um, that's good. That's a good call. That's the, the wheel coming off that whole thing. That was because of the lug nuts. That was the, the yeah. five lug nuts. They were trying to disincentivize teams from leaving too many lug nuts off yep. when there was five lug nuts. No team now is you trying can. to get an advantage by leaving well, a wheel well, loose right. or having it come off. There's, there's, th- those are mistakes. Nobody wants to do that. Of course they don't want their driver's wheel to come off during the race. You could argue that that alone is enough punishment of a penalty sure. uh, because their and, race is over essentially. But yeah, no, you're right. That, that's a really smart call. And I will say this too. It also curves the, wait a second, a guy, you know, a crew chief, gets four races for a loose wheel that they don't want coming off. And yet a guy crashes somebody intentionally on a mile and a half racetrack. And only he, he, you know, that's one race. Like it it erases that contradiction. Right. Right. Yeah. So I would just make it a one race suspension. Again, nobody's trying to do that at all. I don't even Uh, know if I'd have a suspension. I'd have maybe a possibility of a suspension, but I wouldn't be a mandated like one race. You know, I might be a little bit, I I don't know. Here's the only problem with that. You have to have, um, that is a big safety thing. You have to disincentivize it. Now it is, you know, obviously nobody wants it to happen because, but, but people can come back with that from that in the race. If they, if, if it came off shortly after pit road, they backed up, put it on, got their lap back. You're like, well, wait a minute. You just did that. That used to be a four race suspension. Now you get nothing. Um, and you finished still on the lead lap or whatever. I think you should, it's, it's fine to do a one race suspension, but just, it doesn't need to be four races. Like mm. what, what's the point? Sure. Um, so yes, the next question here, uh, and I haven't put a ton of thought into this, 
But um, Luke Johnson wants to know what are our Mount Rushmore of tracks to visit all across the entire world. Uh, so NASCAR, F1, IndyCar, IMSA. Um, what are the four tracks that are up there as like the elite, best, greatest tracks, most wow. prestigious tracks, I guess, in the world, or however you would define the Mount Rushmore of tracks to visit. I can go. It looks like you're thinking. Please, yeah, you go first. I've got two for sure, and then I'm on, kind of up on the air in the other ones. Well, obviously, the number one uh, racetrack in the world is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that, you know, I think you have to visit um, all around the world. The Indianapolis 500 is so renowned. It's such a historic place. Uh, it's such a grand venue, um, particularly for the Indy 500, obviously. But, uh, you know, in terms of visiting a track, uh, that's you, how can you leave that off? Daytona international speedway? Um, obviously still another one, one of the, one of the most prestigious racetracks in the world. And just like, wow, this, this place is, um, incredible. Um, I think you would, you know, just for the prestige and the history there, you'd probably have to put Le Mans, um, yeah. as, as up there as well. Um, you know, the fourth one for me is a little bit more challenging because there's some great, F1 venues. Um, but in terms of like the Mount Rushmore, and this isn't even like a racetrack necessarily, but when it is a racetrack, how can you make an argument against Monaco? I mean, yeah, you could say, Oh, spa Silverstone, something like that. But like Monaco, that's my four or two. Oh, that's your same four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Monaco, man. It's, 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 it's yeah. that is form. That is like, when you think of formula one, you think of Monaco, like even people don't know formula one. They're like Monaco. Oh, okay. They race there. That's cool. Plus if you go to Monaco, you got a chance to end up on a yacht and have some fun. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's not a racetrack, you know, m- most of the year, but, uh, again, when it is, um, that is a truly special place that deserves the spot on the Mount Rushmore. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you could make other, you know, I'm sure sports car fans say, oh, Sebring or, or whatever yeah, other no, places are better than Sebring Nürburgring or I don't know something. You know. Yeah. Old Nürburgring, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Daytona, I mean, honestly, Daytona checks a lot of that box. I mean, it's not just for the 500. I mean, you can do sports cars there. Right. Indy. Yeah. I, those are the four. I, you know, I, I misread the question initially. So my mind went somewhere else. But when I heard it the second time, like those are the clear cut four. I don't even think it's up for, I don't think it's up for debate. Okay. Uh, this one's a question specifically for me from Lendon little. Uh, he just wanted to know when I start recording the podcast and I say, all right, everybody, do I imagine the intro song in my head to get in the mood or do I not think, you know, cause obviously I edit in the intro song later. Um, I just want to, uh, set the tone for the podcast. I guess it was kind of an accident, accidental thing. You know, when I was doing the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast, I just wanted like, I just started saying, I mean, first of all, I'm talking to all you guys. You're all of our friends, right? Like we feel like we're having a conversation with you. So I want to open by bringing you into the conversation and addressing you guys. Uh, So just like, it's how I talk anyway. Like when I'm talking to my kids and we need to load up in the car, I'm like, all right, everybody, let's go kind of thing, right? So yeah, I don't really think about the intro song, but you know, it's a tone setter and it's, if it's a bad race too, like after the, <laughs> oh, I know I'm, well, I, I'm kind of at it. I already know what your mood is. Cause obviously we talked during the race, right? So I know what direction, but even if I hadn't, I think a listener now at this point can immediately tell in your voice. If they listen enough, they're like, okay, I know. I, 
we're going to get salty Jeff today. Oh, we're going to get happy Jeff today. Like you, you just know, don't ever play poker. Yeah. Oh, I'm a bad liar. Very, very bad liar. Um, anyway, Ali Osman, uh, another one of our like super loyal, like, uh, I don't know if you ever see, like he, he comments on a lot of our posts. He always Mm -hmm. tweets at us and stuff like that. Uh, very engaged, um, person that, that we enjoy having us, uh, having read our stuff and listen to our stuff. So thanks as always, Ali. But, um, basically he had a, a, an, you know, he wanted to know about our outlook on Chase Elliott because it was, it was a weird year. Like he, he dominated the regular season. The, the team really struggled in the playoffs. And, and then by the end of the year, he was like pretty negative, um, on the radio and, and even Gustafson, uh, according to Ali seemed at times, to like get annoyed with Chase's negativity. And, and, you know, then by the end of the year, like that interview, like he wouldn't even talk about the move with Ross. He was just like, yeah, I'm just ready for the off season. And it, it was kind of miserable. Like he just wanted to get out of there. And, and really for much of the year, he was not, uh, you know, he just didn't really want to give people anything. It felt like, um, so what is our outlook on, on Mr. Chase Elliott? It's a good question. And I, I, I don't want to put into, I want to put, I'm just going to give you my perception and, and, and he's kind of just, he's kind of dismissed this, but this is my, he just didn't seem happy like at all. And, you know, people would ask him like, Hey, are you, are you happy? And he would say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm fine. And he just didn't seem very happy though. He didn't seem like he was enjoying the year for whatever reason. And I, I don't know why that is. It just, from my perception, it seemed like it was just a very trying year. Um, he wasn't having fun. It was a struggle and maybe because of all of the issues with the car and getting it sorted out and it's just, it was hard to get into rhythm and one week you'd be really good. And the next week you wouldn't be, and you just didn't know what to expect. It just felt like, like you said, Jeff, by the end of the year, it was just like, it was kind of like, let's just get through this and get done with it. Um, it'd be interesting. I, it's 26 years old, right? You've got a championship. You've been in the playoffs. You've been in the championship four for three straight years. You know, you drive for You've got a long-term contract with the best team in NASCAR. Like, you got a lot of reasons to be happy and excited. And I'm not saying like you should always be sunshine and rainbows and puppies, but it just felt like something was missing there. Is that a fair, is my, am I reaching? So let me, okay. Let me it's, it's tough. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. Right? No, no, no. I, I don't think that I, I kind of have a different view on, on chase. You know, I, I feel like in his mind, he you know, he comes to work, he, he wants to win, he does his job and he goes home. And when it comes to expressing himself, talking about an issue facing the sport, unless it's really on his mind, like the safety thing. But even after the safety thing, after we thought, oh, wow, he actually opened up and, and went off at Talladega about the cars and how that was unacceptable almost again, the next week, right after that, when we started talking about issues again, or what do you think about this rule or what should be done? You know, he stopped, he went back to like the, Hey, it's not my sport. I come here. I just drive. I don't, I don't get asked. I don't want to be asked. And you know, when you ask him about things like the, the Chastain stuff, he just doesn't, he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to get himself involved in the controversy. And the bottom line is he doesn't have to, because there's no one pushing him to do it. There's, there's no, there's no, nobody at Hendrick is saying, Hey man, you might want to show some more personality. You might want to be, uh, embrace the popularity a little bit more. You might want to move the sport forward. You might want to try to gain new fans. You might want to, Hey, Hey, like we want to hear what you think about this. 
Um, his sponsors aren't asking him to do that. His team's not asking him to do that. And he feels like it's a detriment to his regular routine and his life when he gets into a controversy or whatever. So he's simply decided, I'm not going to do it. And you all can ask me everything you want. I'm not going to give you anything. I'm just not sorry. I mean, sorry, that's disappointing, but I'm not going to, and I don't have to. Um, now that's very, that sucks for us right? Like you would like to have a, the most popular driver and sort of the, you know, one of the big stars of the sport, uh, you know, Hey, what do you, what do you think about this? Like, tell us, give us your opinion, give us, you know, show us something, give us something. It feels like people want that from him, but until something changes, you know, maybe it's that, Hey, one of these years, um, you know, Ryan Blaney, like look at the ad campaign he's been doing for most popular driver with these sort of joke political attack ads about how, chase, you know, eats his chicken wings and stuff like that. Um, maybe that'll, you know, like if Ryan Blaney wins most popular driver, maybe that makes chase go, Hey, you know what? I can't just cruise on this people. You know, I, I'm starting to lose. Now, maybe that's not important to him. Maybe he doesn't care because he's set up. You know what I mean? He's got a good team. He's got a good sponsor. Uh, he's established and he's decided I didn't have to do any of those things before. So why should I do them now? That's, that's my take. And, and I don't blame him for that necessarily. I wish we could get more out of him, but if you're him and it's worked for you already, you don't live in the Charlotte area. All you just want to do is go home and have your life. And then you come back to work and you, you do your thing and you go home and you try again the next week. And, and as long as you're giving the hundred percent to your team, you feel like you're doing all you can do. Um, from his perspective, that that's it. You know, I, I don't, he doesn't, he clearly doesn't enjoy the media side of it. He said, you know, it's, it's too much media. He doesn't like doing that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just who he is, I guess. But I hope that maybe 10 years from now, as he is more, you know, one of the veteran type guys, um, you know, has been around a long time and, and, you know, is still, on that level of popularity, I hope we're getting more from him. Cause I, I clearly he has a personality. He's, you know, people enjoy spending time around him. People go party with him and hang out, you know, Blaney, whoever. Um, so, you know, there's something there, but it's just whether he decides to show it. And I think that's what a lot of the, these guys grapple with. I mean, if you guys listen to the Christopher bell, 12 questions, he said, um, he wouldn't mind just racing a car without his name, even on it. He doesn't want to say anything you know, that that's going to, you know, show personality sort of, and he's weighed like, Hey, do I show more? But it's a tough thing for these guys because what happens when you show personality NASCAR, it gets a lot of backlash in, in many cases, driver, people always say, Hey, we want to hear, we want to hear what these guys think we want. And then Denny Hamlin talks all the time. Here's my opinion. Here's my opinion. And it's like, shut the hell up, Denny, you whiner. Yeah. God, you know, he gets booed, you know, people, people just, they can't stand them, you know, whatever. So, uh, Kyle Bush too, right? I mean, Kyle Bush, we want to hear what you think. Like, you know, be colorful to show us your, you know, be authentic, true self. He's authentic. People don't like it. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough balance. Right. Um, so I, you know, that, that's my take. I, I, I think he's fine. I think he's probably happy. He wants to do better. Um, you know, but he, he's doing what he can, you know, he, when he wants to do better, he says, I'm going to do better. But that, that's my take on chase. I don't know if what we think. I think you make some really good points. I think he, 
he does his job. It's not like he doesn't show up and do his job. He does it obviously at a very high level, and he's just not somebody who is comfortable with that spotlight. And that's you know you can't force somebody to do that. And it's 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 if you put somebody in that spotlight who doesn't want to be there, it's, this is I think the result. It's it's just but on the other hand, is like this is part of it though. Like you have to you have to fulfill these obligations, and so yeah. Um, <clears throat> Richie McEwen says. How do you honestly feel about the one race finale for a championship? I feel like as long as there's only one race, we will never have a true champion. It's like if the World Series came down to one race championship instead of seven. It's such a long season, it comes down to one race. And obviously this has um, been brought back up recently by Denny Hamlin, who I think on Twitter said, mm-hmm. you know, maybe make the last round three races. And then Dale Jr. Um, on his podcast with Brian France again said, hey, like, you know, respect the format that you guys did, but you know, I kind of wish that maybe it didn't just come down to all one race because it could just favor a driver, one kind of track and not necessarily reflective of, of the season as a whole. So where, where do you land on this all these years now into this format, which started in, in 2014. Now we're in 2022. Uh, it's, you know, initially I like the one race winner, quote unquote, winner take all format, right. Where you know, it's going to come down to this and, everything but and so initially i was like i don't know if i like this but then i thought about it and i thought there's a lot of merit to it i'm actually in favor of it because i think you still would get that drama because it was still going to come down to that that one race but for a great team uh, like a a kevin harvick for example or you know we've seen other you know instances where something fluky will happen and all of a sudden they're being penalized in that one race format or, or or something similar to that I, I just think it allows a little bit more flexibility and it does allow a great team to truly showcase itself. I think if you had a final three race stretch of Homestead, Martinsville, and then you rotated the championship finale from different tracks, I tell you what, Jeff, I think I'd like that. It's a really tough, um, this is a very difficult question because, and this, this was my concern all the way back in 2014 and remains my concern now because once you go to a one race championship, mm-hmm. what other levers do you have to pull if that's not enough? Because remember the reason this format came into existence because they said, well, first of all, the chase came into existence because they said, Hey, the regular season, the end of the regular season is not exciting enough. People can clinch early. Like Verstappen did an F1 this year and we need to make something that's going to get people to watch. Right. So they started the chase. Did more people watch? No. Over the course of time, you know, I think the first year it had a bump, but over the course of time, there was no improvement in the ratings necessarily. Like it didn't, it didn't go, oh, well now we have to watch the playoffs. Like this is going to save the sport. So they changed it again. Right. And they said, okay, now we have the eliminations. Now we have the one race format. Has that gotten more people to watch? No. I mean, maybe it's more people than there, than would be watching if it was a regular season championship. You can argue that, but has it has have the ratings gone up and up and up and up for the championship race? They have not. So, what do you do now? Because you've already done this one race thing. I I'm not sure you can go back. I'm not entirely comfortable with the one race thing. I still wrestle with it all the time. You know, because so many things can happen in one race. It can be fluky. Um, you know, just making the final four seems like an accomplishment these days based on, because you don't, you don't know what happened at one race, one type of track, but Jordan going back to a three race championship round now. I mean, there was one of these rounds this year 
Um, I think it might've been even been the first round where, uh, Christopher Bell, I'd have to, I'd have to look at the exact points, but even with the, all 16 drivers in that first round, when Christopher Bell went three top fives and so many else had some, so many others had a bunch of problems, he had a pretty significant points lead. And now imagine if you have, um, you're down to four drivers for the last round and, uh, one guy gets a couple top fives or a win in a top five and the others struggle by the time you get there, it's pretty much wrapped up and you're back to where you were with, okay, he's got to finish 20th and it's still the championship. Yeah. But for what NASCAR is trying to accomplish with the true championship weekend and all that stuff, I, I don't know if you can go back now. Um, I think you could maybe go back to, the 10 race thing, if you were really worried about it, but that totally goes back on the entertainment. Even then, thing. That's you're definitely going to end up that, that goes situation. way. Yeah. That's a complete reversal. But as long as you're going to have the elimination format to, to say, mm-hmm. you know, only four drivers taught being talked about for three weeks. I mean, imagine if you had the Logano bell Chastain Elliott yeah. thing, that was three weeks. Those four guys were all anybody talked about. People would almost be pretty tired of those guys. By the time you got to the, like, okay, we're so tired of these. Like, okay, we get it. We get it. I mean, the stories, the, the storylines would be so played out by then. What else can you say about Logano by the time you get to that third race? What else can you say about Chastain? You know what I mean? Um, and everybody else would be so forgotten for those weeks. I just, I don't know if you can do it. So that's, it's a problem, but you, you just convinced me like you sweat, you put me back on the other side. I'm on your side now. Like you just gave a very convincing argument and you're hundred percent right across the board. I'm you're right. You are right. I don't, I don't like that. Like, I'm not saying I love it, but you're right. Like your points are really good though. And you're right. Like it would be too much. The same four guys over the last few weeks, you would probably have a scenario there. There would be a a chance of a guy saying, Hey, I just need to finish 12th in the finale. And they would race accordingly. And that's not the drama that you want in your, you know, your, your championship. You're right. I I mean, this is why, unfortunately, you know, you wouldn't have, if you go to that three race thing, you would not be seeing the champion go out and winning the race like you have been, which has been exciting. I mean, all every year from 2014 through now, even with this parody filled year, the champion has always won that final race. And like, there's a reason they're all there. Yeah. They're all going for it at the end. All four cars, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's argument you've ever made. I don't even like making that argument. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I'm more of a traditionalist, but I just, yeah. once you pulled that lever, I I think you've opened Pandora's box, so to speak. So, um, here we go with Josh Lambert's questions, uh, question. Um, basically, you know, given everything that's happened this year, we, we've referenced this a little bit. Um, but you know, what is the possibility with, with sort of the dissatisfaction and the grumbling, whether it's the safety or not getting enough money, um, all that stuff. Would there be like a, a competitor league? Could the owners break off, take the, take all the drivers, the teams in sort of like a live golf tour type thing? Uh, you know, some, somebody comes in, offers huge money. Um, you know, they, they go overseas somewhere and do it. One of these rich countries. Uh, you know, what, what, what are, feasibly could could that happen what would that look like do you see that happening no i don't and i'll tell you why and this has been bandied about a little bit to some degree in various forms here's why 
if you're a Hendrick Motorsports and you're decide and somebody is going to pay you an extreme amount of money to go race in some other country, right? You're going to start your own league. Where are you getting your cars from? Because all of the parts and all the pieces are supplied by a third party that has a deal with NASCAR. Then you have to go to Chevrolet and Chevrolet would have to be on board with this. And you think Chevrolet is going to say to NASCAR, Hey, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to support this. I don't know if they are. I don't think they will actually. So where are the cars coming from? Where are the pieces coming from? Like, I, I just think that there are too many hurdles to make this work. Is there an audience for this? Is there an audience clamoring for for more NASCAR? The ratings for NASCAR are up this year, right? But are they up to the point of like, oh my goodness, we need to have more, more, more? I don't know. I, I don't see that. Um, I think this would be a horrible idea. I don't see how it would work. I don't think it's realistic. And I, I, I just don't see it. And the other thing too is, where are you going to race? I mean, are there tracks that you can race at in this country or somewhere else? Sure. But the best tracks, the most iconic tracks, ultimately um, are under the NASCAR umbrella. And I, I just don't think there's a pathway to make this work. Well, I mean, first of all, you talk about the cars and the parts. They wouldn't be NASCAR cars. I mean, you could just go race Great. late models, slap your same sponsor decals on them. Great. And you, you got to start run, building engines and okay, you run, pay for run the engines. Crate engines. I mean, and okay. call them Chevrolets or whatever. But um, I don't think that's as much of a hurdle, honestly, because... It's a hurdle. I, I've had this conversation with some people. Late models I've had like, a conversation with somebody okay. from a manufacturer who literally said, we would not support this. There is no chance. We would not let our teams... We would not have any backing with this because it's going to put us in a bad box with NASCAR. Well, I mean, that's fine. But if they're in a bad box with NASCAR, there's no teams. Who, who's NASCAR going to get? You're, you're going to have, uh, you know, right now, we were just talking earlier on the show about, gosh, how do you fill these seats? There's nobody, it doesn't seem like there's somebody ready, readily qualified to step in, like to, to a big ride. If you take all the current cup drivers out of the series, and you say, all right, guys, well, um, hey, check out some of those guys that were, were running at Florence with, with Dale Jr. And they're, they're that, now those are the cup drivers because uh, the other cup drivers went over and they started this late model racing series and other tracks or whatever because they were mad that they didn't get enough money. Um, first of all, like you said, that would be terrible for the sport. It would be a fracture like a IRL cart split, right? Um, but I, I think that, I mean... To me, the power of NASCAR is the driver's star power and, and the teams and what they do. The Cup Series with a bunch of guys that you don't really know, uh, I don't see why, you know, I, I don't see as much incentive to watch that. I would more watch like, okay, well, this is the race that has Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Kozlowski, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, whoever in it. And this is the race that has a bunch of guys that until last week were racing on Saturday nights at my local short track. And now they're the cup stars. Uh, okay. Can you make them cup stars though? Can you sell them? Can you turn them into cup stars? Can you put a marketing push behind them? I don't like, even no think offense, NASCAR like, has been successful thing, making though. their current drivers into super I was, that, That's what I was going to say. So like, does Chase Elliott move the needle enough? I don't think he does where somebody's going to say, I'm going to go watch Chase Elliott run a late model in somewhere else. I don't think so. I, not to the point oh, where so you think be, that that do you think that people would rather watch the local no, no names running the, no, I don't think that, I think it's than, a, I think if this happens, it's a huge, it's a huge blow and it's probably, it's, it's going to put NASCAR in a spiral, but I don't think that other league is going to be at all successful either. 
Well, it would it would be very hard, honestly. To, I don't see any winners in this scenario. No, no, no. It it would be a, a you know it, it wouldn't be a dispute over the safety stuff. It would be a dispute over the money. And at some point, cooler heads are going to prevail, and they're going to give them the money. You would think, or or they're going to get more. I mean, they're obviously going to yeah. get more. It's just a matter of what percentage, and that's the thing. And you and couldn't really they, make a full year long racing series. I mean, there's not enough tracks. There's not enough money. Um, it's one thing to have live golf go and say, Oh, we're going to play at these golf courses and we're going to pay these guys more, but racing's a lot more expensive than bringing your and, golf clubs. By the way, live golf doesn't have a TV deal, by the way, like, and there, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a TV deal for this. I, I just, there are just too many hurdles to, for this day. I, I think even be a realistic option. Yeah. I, I no, I, I, I agree with you, but I also think that if the teams didn't get what they wanted and they were like, you know what? Nah, we have all the power. We're going to flex it. I mean, okay. it's possible. No, uh, yeah, possible. All right. We'll see. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Final two questions from the mailbag that we're going to have time to get to uh, as we're already coming up on the two hour mark. And I said, this first of all, this is already like our longest podcast ever by like 30 minutes. So yeah, you're killing my boozy brunch. I forgot planned today, by the way. Oh no. Were you going to make eggs? No, I'm going out for brunch. Mimosos and brunch. Oh, by yourself? Uh, meeting some friends. I'm texting them right now telling them I'm going to be late, so it's okay. Well, I told you this is going to take two hours, Jordan. Yeah, I know. And then we ended up having a pre-show thing, and then we ran long. It's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. All no, right, it's well, fine. It's all good. I'm sorry to ruin your brunch. No, you didn't ruin it. It's just postponed it. It's okay. The, the mimosas aren't going anywhere. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Well, by the way, thanks for the invite once again. I mean, I can't tell you guys how many things Jordan did not invite me out to this year. In fact, um, right at Phoenix... I stayed until like 6 p.m. the next day and uh, I was texting Jordan. I, I finished my top five column and I said, Jordan, uh, are, are you still in, in Phoenix? Oh, yeah. I just had lunch with uh, NASCAR Chasm. Oh, thanks for the invite, Jordan. Uh, then it was like Saturday night of Phoenix. Oh, oh, what'd you do last night? Oh, I went out. I went out uh, had a, a great time with drinks and people and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Well, I just uh, went to the casino by myself because nobody invited me. So, Jordan, thanks for not inviting me to any of your parties, any of your eggs, any of your boozy brunches. What a friend. What a friend, Jordan. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. You, <laughs> oh, you didn't even deny it. Okay. No, it's a little. Okay. You always take the first flight out on Monday morning. And so I had no, you did not communicate a lack of communication on you to tell me when your flight out was. If you would have said, Hey, I'm in town on Monday. I would have said, oh, then you should definitely come. But I was under the assumption, because you usually do, you usually fly out either late Sunday night or you've been flying out early Monday morning. That's the way it is. So I didn't know. Saturday night, for example, wasn't like a planned thing. It just kind of happened because a bunch of us were staying at the hotel and I happened to be a ringleader and, you know, you know, team fun. And in your hotel was well aware, well away from us. That's your fault for picking a bad location. If you were closer, hell yeah, come have some drinks on me. Have a good time. But, you know, it didn't work out. And by the way, you also said to me, 
before you left the track, you were like, yeah, I'm probably going to, you asked me if I want to go to the basketball game. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And so you made it seem like you were going to the basketball game. That's true. But you know, like Thank if, you. if I was, if I was going to have like, you know, it's like people inviting people to their wedding, right? You invite people who, you know, they're probably not going to come. They probably don't want to come, but oh, I'll, I'll invite them. Fake invitation thing. Oh, I'm not doing that. Well, I just invite them. Maybe they do want to come. You know, that's, that's all, you know, you it's are, fine. Okay, it's fine. I, I see where script. I stand. So there is no confusion going forward. You are always welcome to come to anything that I'm doing. Well, how do I know what you're doing? If there's no invite, I will keep you abreast. I will Am do I a invited better job to the, of... the meatball dinner with all the uh, listeners next year that you're going to, we will put that, at, we should put that together for like Daytona. Oh, Daytona. We're going to have the big meatball dinner. We should, we should have to like Daytona. rent a house or something. We'll figure it out. We'll like rent a, we'll get like a room at a hotel or something. We'll figure it out. How are we going to cook for all our podcast listeners in Daytona well, in a my room at a hotel? My, it's not that hard. I've actually thought about this. My parents don't. My parents live in the area, so I will do all the cooking beforehand at their house. We we get like a, a banquet room at a hotel. I'll just bring the food and you know crockpots and everything else. It's not really. I've actually thought about this. It's actually conceivable. Wow. Hey, let's do this, everybody. I'm dead serious. We could. It's 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 definitely on the table. We should talk about this. Podcast listeners only, though. I'm not putting this out. I'm not talking about this on Twitter. Nobody break the code of trust. This will only be for podcast yeah. listeners in Daytona if we do this. Well, I think we could. I think there's a we, we we a few years ago we had a kind of a get together among media folks, kind of something similar to this. I I I, I thought about this and Wait, how to was make. Was I this invited work. to that? You were there. Remember? No. You were there. Yes, you were. It was at. Yes, it was. Yes, man. you were. I'm not getting into the details. <laughs> oh, you were there. Man. Okay, I don't get invited to anything. You All actually right, well, were staying with me that week. Uh, I don't. I don't remember. I don't have a very exactly. good memory. So. <laughs> exactly. So no, in all seriousness, I have thought about this because I had this conversation with somebody about this. Um, there's a, a, a way to make this work realistically. I think Daytona would be a good opportunity. Okay. Final question comes from Scott in Ottawa, Canada. And the only reason I wanted to include this, you, you didn't want to do this because you don't like talking about uh, personal stuff too much, I guess. But, um, you know, Jordan, we, we have had a big year here on the podcast, um, behind me, I keep a, uh, the, the podcast audio team at the athletic sent me uh, a card cause I'm the producer of this podcast of all our numbers from last year. They sent it in January, like, Hey, here's your year in review. Well, when I look at our year in review from this year, we've more than doubled, um, our listenership overall from last year, which was already way up. Um, so, wow, uh, this is incredible. But that also means that we have a lot of new listeners. In fact, one of the emails I got said, um, hey, uh, I, I decided to give you guys a, a listen for the first time after the Martinsville race. And, um, you know, now now I'm going to become a, a regular listener. And I even want to go back to some of the episodes and hear what you guys had to say about other races. So, uh Sorry if you guys have heard the answer to this question before, uh, but just for our newer listeners, sort of tell each other, uh, tell about ourselves a little bit. So Scott in Ottawa says, um, I've always been curious about how the two of you got to covering NASCAR for a living. Was it a love for NASCAR first or a love for sports writing? Uh, do, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. Age before beauty. Oh, I see. Well, yeah. So I, I grew up in California. I was not a NASCAR fan at all. And, uh, I don't even think I knew who I'm, I don't think I knew who Jeff Gordon was or Dale Earnhardt was, um, growing up in the Bay area of California. My 
parents weren't into racing. So I really had no exposure to racing, you know, which is weird because since I end up, I, you know, I was class elementary school classmate of Justin Marks, who was obviously very aware of NASCAR racing at the time we went to school together, uh, and grew up following it and liking it. But, um, I didn't have that, uh, for whatever reason. So I went through all, all through college thinking, uh, NASCAR was dumb and why would anybody want to watch this? And it's just people going in circles. Um, and I got to my first newspaper job. I wanted to be a sports writer and I got to my first newspaper job in Rocky Mount, North Carolina at a small newspaper. And ultimately my editor had said, you know, you need to, uh, why don't you go cover the Rockingham NASCAR race? And the, the point was made to me, um, that, you know, you need to know how to cover every type of sport, right? Um, it could be lacrosse, field hockey, you know, you're going to have a newspaper career and, and, you know, they're going to get some big newspaper and say, Hey, you need to go cover this sport for the Olympics or whatever. And if you don't know how, or you don't know how the sport works, um, you're not going to get those assignments. So it's better to be well-rounded. So, um, I went to that first, my first race ever was the first race I covered. I went to Rockingham 2004 and, uh, was just blown away by it. It was a great race. Casey Kane, Matt Kenseth, tight finish. Uh, Carl Long flipped down the backstretch. Um, I was just awed by the speed and the sound of everything. And I, I being in North Carolina, went back to my editor and said, Hey, can I go cover more races? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, go for it. So I started a NASCAR column at the time, you know, Darlington had two races a year. Uh, I went to the three Charlotte races, the two Richmond races, the two Martinsville races. Um, and I just started going to, you know, I was mostly covering high school sports, but NASCAR didn't conflict with that. So I would drive three hours to a race on a Sunday morning and watch the race and go back. Thank you. Early start times. And, uh, yeah, so I, that's how I got into it. I moved up the ladder, um, slowly, but surely, um, got to NASCAR scene, uh, in 2007, I've been covering NASCAR full time for various outlets ever since 2007. And this, you know, feels like home at this point. So here I am. What about you, Jordan? We are glad you, we are glad you were here. Um, I I've always loved I love all sports. There's not a sport that I don't love, including NASCAR. Growing up, I watched it a lot. I feel like I knew a lot about it, but I felt like that way about all sports. Um, I wanted to work in sports. I didn't know how I, what I wanted to do. Um, ultimately, I decided that I I hated writing. I hated writing in in college. I hated writing. Period. And I had a professor of mine say, "Why don't you do sports talk radio?" You seem to be very passionate about it. You're knowledgeable. You like to talk. So that was what I wanted to do. And I was very committed to that. Um, I had a job lined up out of college um, with a very prominent uh, sports K fan in Minneapolis, which was the Viking station. Um, you actually saw the clip this week of Paul Allen, uh, the Vikings broadcaster. I used yeah, to be yeah. intern on his radio show. Like my first thing, like I used to be an intern on his radio show. Wow. PA, is, PA was a phenomenal help to me through my career. Um so there's people in that video, like I know all of those guys, like, they, like there's a couple of people like really were instrumental in my career. Wow. And so I want to do sports radio and that was my thing. And, um, also it's one of those things of be careful what you wish for. Sometimes it's not actually what you want and not, you know, and I realized that I wasn't enjoying myself. Um, I felt like I kind of hit a glass ceiling on what I was going to do and where I was going to go. And frankly, I wasn't really good at it at the time. Like I was so bad at radio. Like they told me not to talk on the air. Oh, which is crazy. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause now they ask you to host radio shows. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's come, it's come a long way, but I mean, it was a struggle and I just, you know, just so, uh, and decided, and I, at the same time, 
I was starting to do more writing and stuff because the internet was really taking off. And so for the website, I was doing more stuff, written stuff across other, you know, not various things. But NASCAR was really huge at that time. And in Minneapolis, where I was based, it was particularly huge because we had a ton of sponsors that were based in that area. Um, so Target, Best Buy, you know, Lana, Cheerios, General Mills, it was just on and on. And so it was really, so I discovered that talking about NASCAR, writing about NASCAR was something that I thought I was decent at, at least. And so um, in 2008, late 2008, I made a career change and decided I didn't want to do sports talk radio anymore or anything like that. And I wanted to do written uh, word, though I sucked at it. And so I started focusing on that for a long time, did a lot of freelance stuff, covered a lot of motorsports stuff, covered other sports as well. And wasn't sure where I was going, and it just kind of took this windy road. And then in 2012, some guy hired me at SB Nation uh, named Jeff Gluck to be his number two. Um, I won't tell people how you threatened to fire me a bunch of times, and I still have emails. It's okay. I deserved it. Uh, you made me better than you realize, and I tell you all the time I owe my career to you because I absolutely do. Without you, I would not be where I am today, and that is the 100% truth. Um, and when you left after the 2012 season to go to USA Today – there was kind of a void there at SB Nation, and I thought this is my opportunity, and I just started doing it all. And it went from there and moved into a, a full-time role with them and continued on that journey, and then I started covering motorsports and full-time, and here we are. That's it's, the notes version. Yeah, it's so, so, so crazy how life works because I remember – so I was at NASCAR scene – um, and then NASCAR scene as for those of you who've been around a while, it was mag weekly magazine and, uh, it, it shut down, uh, you know, as, as magazines have done, um, at the first week of 2010. So, um, I ended up at SB nation, which was a new site at the time. And, and after a while they said, okay, like now you, you have a budget. It's very, 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 very small budget. Oh yeah, it was small. <laughs> hire some contributors. I think I think it was like you can pay somebody like a hundred bucks a month or one hundred twenty five dollars a month. One hundred twenty five dollars a month. So I said, okay, well, I got to find some people to write for me. Um, and I literally remember I was going through Jay Ski's links articles links page, and I was like, I just I got to find people who would who are not attached to an outlet already, um, who would want to do something for one hundred twenty five bucks a month. Uh, not exactly big money, and you had a blog, I guess. Was, was, was it a blog? Yeah, some I, sort I of hate site. that term. I didn't feel like I did a blog. I feel like I actually did like a website. I wrote yeah. like in depth. You know, I had my own website. You had you were, had written NASCAR articles and stuff, and yeah, like I, I came across your stuff. site and I scrolled through it and I was like, huh, well, this guy seems like he knows what he's talking about. Never heard of him or met him, but uh, so I think I sent you an email and I was just like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help out. You know, at, at SB we Nation. actually met at Daytona the year before. Uh, we had, yeah, we had met at Daytona and I, we had talked and I kind of picked your brain a little bit oh, and then I, this was, I don't this was, that. yeah, this, oh, see? this was February, 2011 at media day. Um, then you started following me that night. I was actually excited. Like, Oh, he's following me on Twitter. You know, that's kind of cool. And it could, it was a big deal at the time. And then that summer of 2011, you had reached out to me about a potential opportunity actually interviewed with the company. They did not hire me. They hired someone else, by the way. Um, and so like, oh, all right, well that, you know, another potential opportunity that went by the wayside that never, you know, you get that point, you're thinking never going to happen. And it wasn't until January, late January, 2012, 
when, and we had been talking a few times at that point, you know, just messaging casually, 2012, January 2012, when you reached out and said, hey, I need somebody, do you want to help me out? And he didn't oh. interview me or anything at that point, he just brought me on. Interesting. See, I don't even remember it. Wow. My details are so, I remember that totally differently. Um, I didn't remember ever meeting you before that at all. I just thought you were a random dude. Um, nope. But, we had met. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. And now we, now we work together going on year. Uh, it's going to be our fourth season next, fourth full Fifth? season next year, 19, right? Yeah. Fourth 19, full, yeah. 20, 21, 20. No, this was our, well, this was our, this was our yeah. three, three and four a half. Fifth. I don't know how you do yeah. the math, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll keep, keep rolling here. And, uh, again, I might as well plug that offer one more time, Jordan, because we're going to keep writing on the athletic. Um, so, Again, if, if you're listening to this between November 21st and November 28th, you've got that $1 a month deal for new subscribers. So 12 bucks for the entire year. Um, if you can go to theathletic.com slash the teardown, uh, you will get prompted for that deal. Somebody, you know, just if you don't see it, get uh, send me a direct message and I'll, if there's something wrong with it. But it, it should be active as of Monday morning, um, November 21st. So, and, and last through Cyber Monday there, but, uh, maybe some of you are listening to this in December going, dang, but, uh, hopefully there'll be some other good deals for you, for you to see if you go to that link. But, uh, yeah, I guess we've come to the end of it here as we approach the, the two hour mark and, um, man, I guess, you know, ultimately as we, as we say often, but truly, truly, truly cannot thank you guys enough. Cannot begin to thank you guys enough and, and tell you guys, you know, how much you mean to us. Um, you know, we, we get so excited. I, I, I look up the numbers for the podcast every week and let Jordan know, um, you know, Hey, like another episode, another new record. Um, you know, we had our most people ever by a long shot, listen to the hail melon episode after, um, uh, Martinsville. But when you go back and look at our, um, our top episode ever as of this time a year ago was the Kyle Larson championship race episode from 2021. That is now our 25th most listened to episode. Um, we just kept topping it and topping and topping it this year. And, you know, even a lot of the just sort of mid season races that were normally not that remarkable. I mean, you guys listen in, in strong numbers. We're, we're still a little podcast. We're not door bumper clear, um, we're not Dale Jr. Download, stacking pennies, any any of that kind of stuff. Um, if you look at the iTunes charts, you can you can see that. But um, you know, we've we've come a long way and and we just really appreciate this group that we have uh of interacting with us. And, and some of these emails that you guys sent us um were just so nice to hear like oh, when you guys listen to the podcast or how you guys listen to it every week when you're at your jobs or working out or walking the dog. And for you guys to bring us into your lives uh, on a weekly basis and have us part of that, like, just thank you. Like it just, it means so much to us. So we really appreciate you guys stay safe out there. Um, have a Merry Christmas, happy holidays, even though Jordan hates Christmas. Um, Stupid holiday. <laughs> Jordan, I'll, I'll let you add to this. I, I've said it before. It's my favorite time of the week is, is chatting with you and that the reception we have from people when I'm at the racetrack walking up, saying nice words, emails, texts, messages, wh whatever, means a lot. Um, I'm not good at sharing my feelings, uh, as I've been told many times recently by many people. Um, 
Um, but I sincerely appreciate it. It always makes me smile. I'm very humble, very appreciative for everything that you guys do and the support, the kind words. We love doing it. And uh, thank you. Sincerely. Everybody, um, we will look forward to being back with you the first week of January. That is our tentative first episode of um, 2023. And, you know, hopefully from that point, once we come back, we'll just start cranking out preseason stuff. We'll be talking about the year to come. Uh, We'll be talking about predictions, all sorts of things. And we'll have a huge year next year. I mean, it's going to be a lot to talk about again. It's NASCAR season. We're already Daytona stuff, man. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we are, we have, we've got some, we've got some fun stories ahead in the works. It's going to be NASCAR's 75th anniversary season. So there'll be stuff all year. Um, storylines will continue and we hope to be back with you then. So until then, everybody have a great off season. Have a happy new year. We'll talk to you next time on the terror.